it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. some discourse this morning. Boy, do we have some takes. We have some hot takes. Hot takes are flying around like hot cakes, y'all. Of course, the show was all prepped um, last night, but this morning I woke up, (laughs) saw the thing that set the world on fire, and I will now do an impromptu segment on that exact thing. Um, Of course, I'm talking about (laughs) Will Smith and Chris Rock at the Oscars. God damn. God damn. What is there to say? Well, there's a lot to say about it. We're going to say everything about it. So, um, Anyway, outside of that, what do you have to look forward to on today's show? Um, we have Biden saying that Putin needs to be removed from power. We'll dissect that and then walking it back. We have um, Macron lashing out at Biden for uh, throwing a wrench into peace talks. We have um, Vladimir Putin whining and saying that Russia's being canceled like J.K. Rowling was. Jesus Christ. Um, Chris Wallace torches Fox News on his way out the door. We got Joe Rogan schooling an anti-gay guest that he has and sort of laughing at him. Uh, North Korea releases one of the goofiest propaganda ads of all time. I really do have a phenomenal show for you today, so sit back, relax. 
uh, take it in, let it let your brain marinate in the uh, sauce of truth. <laughs> That's the corniest thing anybody's ever said. Anyway, all right, let's get started. So last night was uh, the Oscars. Of course, uh, I don't watch the Oscars. Uh, zero interest in it. Um, but there was a moment that absolutely blew up. Everybody's talking about it. It lit Twitter on fire. There are giant debates happening now. Uh, I'll, I'll show you the clip and then... I mean, I guess you guys will determine whether or not you think this is really debate-worthy, but I have uh, strong thoughts on it, and I'm surprised that there's any deviation, really, from the general core of what I'm going to argue here. But anyway, um, Chris Rock gets up there, tells a joke. The butt of the joke is Jada Pinkett Smith, Will's wife. And uh, then this happens. You're going to see the joke. You're going to see the reaction. Try to soak in all the little bits and pieces because it's all relevant. Take a look. of moments stick out there. First of all, at the end, uh, Chris Rock, I think, does a good job recovering at the end when he's like, that was the greatest night of television in history, whatever the fuck he said. Um, Handled it professionally. Now, if you go back and watch that clip again, uh, you'll notice that there's a moment there where Chris looks like he's about to say something else and, like, start another joke because that's, that's in his nature, and it looks like, you know, it may be targeted at Will and Jada yet again, but then he catches himself and backs it up. He could have you know, kept roasting them after that, although there was a pretty big incentive put in front of him, like, you probably don't want to do that. But nonetheless, it looked to me like he was about to start saying something else, like, you know, crack another joke at Will's expense or something, and then he just reeled it in and was like, well, at least that was good TV and moved on. So I think that uh, Chris Rock handled that well. Now, let me break this down for you, because, you know, some people might not understand the context here. So G.I. Jane, you know, G.I. Jane is badass female soldier, and she has a shaved head. And um, so Chris Rock makes that joke because Jada has a shaved head. Now, my guess is, and I don't know for sure, my guess is Chris Rock thought that Jada just had a shaved head because she, like, chose to have a shaved head, when in reality she actually has this condition called alopecia, which leads to, like, basically patchy balding. And so she's, she's you know, spoken openly about that. I, I don't think Chris Rock uh, knew that. I think that he just thought it was a joke about her hairstyle, her haircut, um, thinking that it's something that she chose. And also, by the way, the joke is a comparison to G.I. Jane. G.I. Jane is like a badass, and so it's almost like there's really nothing that, that's putting anybody down over it. It's like saying, you'll be in G.I. Jane too because you're also a badass, and like, like, won't that be cool? But, you know, I don't think he knew she had alopecia, first of all. But second of all, even if he did... And we'll get to more on this in a little bit. But even if he did, um, 
the joke is still fair game. Now, again, I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Um, so that was the joke. Now, at first, I don't know if you guys caught it, but Will laughed. So he was laughing at first, and it seemed like a genuine laugh. It didn't seem – because I was, I was watching closely. I watched it a few times to see if Will gave it the old, like, ha, 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 ha. Like the old, like, yeah, that's so funny, no. It didn't look to me like he did that. Now, the camera does cut away from him, so I can't say with 100% certainty, but it looked like he was genuinely laughing. And then <clears throat> I think what happened was – and, again, this part's up to interpretation. You guys can tell me what you think. But it, I think what happened was he looked at Jada, saw that Jada was genuinely upset, and then that's when he sort of puffed his chest out and did what he did there. Um, but then, of course, the next question is, was it a work? Like, was it – because that's the other – some percentage of people are saying, like, well, they obviously staged this. And I think probably the biggest piece of evidence that they offer is, well, Will was laughing, and then all of a sudden he gets really mad. Again, I think he just he was laughing, then he looked and saw Jada was upset, and then he started getting angry. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's a work, man. And let me say this. If it was a work, they are better than the best actors I've ever seen in my life. Because Chris Rock looked genuinely unsettled there, and Will seemed genuinely pissed off. Now, granted, Will Smith is a phenomenal actor. I mean, didn't he just literally win the Oscar for Best Actor? Of course. So... But still, it, it, it looked real to me, dog. It looked real to me. I'll set it at like 80% I think it's real, 20% I think it's fake. I'm pretty certain that it was real. Again, I'll leave that up to you guys. You can determine. You can fight it out in the comment section or whatever. I'm sure a lot of you guys are fighting it out on Twitter right now. Um, <clears throat> so now I'm going to get to the main point in a second, and the main point is something that <clears throat> I'm, I'm concrete on. Like I'm not, I'm not budging on the main point at all, and – in fact, I think it's kind of crazy that anybody is. But I saw a Twitter poll on this. I saw a Twitter poll on this. And the question was, was Will Smith in the right? And there was yes and no. And I swear to God, the breakdown was 50-50. 50-50? Twitter is the place that, that you go when you want to learn that literally anything can happen and all of a sudden it becomes debatable. It becomes like a raging debate. It doesn't matter what the fuck it is. All of a sudden you go on Twitter and there's somebody who's, or there's at least, at least like 30 or 40% of people who are taking the position that seems like there's no way anybody would take this position. Now, um, after this, the craziest part is after this, Will Smith won an Oscar. And in his, he went and gave his acceptance speech and he was saying that he's a fierce defender of his family. And he compared himself to, you know, the father of Venus and Serena Williams. They said he was a crazy father. He was like, look, art imitates reality. Apparently, you know, I'm the, I'm the crazy father too. Um, and he also went on to say, like, I'm on a mission from God or something like that. And then he spoke about peace and love. Come on, man. Come on, man. He was crying through the whole thing, which, look, I kind of understand. Like, I get it. You want an Oscar. That's an emotional moment for a lot of people. But at the same time, he said he's not crying about, about the Oscar he was just sort of tearing up and, and talking about being on a mission from God, and he's a fierce defender of his family. And um, I do have to say, though, he seemed to me both, you know, by his actions and by what he was saying when he was talking, he seemed to me like he was just sort of unhinged. And he was after, there was an after party that he went to where he was, like, dancing and getting jiggy with it and, and singing his song and dancing with the Oscar, and everybody would just sort of, like, having a good time now chris rock has come i guess the lapd or somebody asked him like hey are you going to file charges And he's like no 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 i'm not going to file charges and so you know but there is t chatter right now about maybe they're going to take his oscar away now look 
I wouldn't do that. The reason I wouldn't do that is because him winning the Oscar has nothing to do with what, what he did that. Like, the Oscar stands on its own. Like, his performance as an actor stands on its own. And you can't say, like, well, now he's not the best actor because of something else that happened. That's just not related. Like, I'm, you have to – the punishment has to fit the crime in my, uh, in my opinion, and I don't think that that fits the crime. I, I think it's a total non sequitur. So I wouldn't take the Oscar away. Uh, it's all on Chris Rock to determine whether or not he wants to press the charges. He said he's definitely not going to press the charges. Um, but now, look, let's get to the, to the meat of the conversation here, which is a raging debate on Twitter as we speak right now. Is this acceptable? For the life of me, I cannot understand how anybody can say yes. I, just, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Because I guess people are trying to sympathize with Will, and they're saying, hey, somebody said something really fucked up about your wife, and so now you're going to like stand up for your wife or whatever, and it's like the macho thing to do. Guys, I regret to inform you that is indeed not the macho thing to do. That is the petty, insecure, and fragile thing to do. That is the least macho thing that anybody could ever do. So you're going to resort to physical violence over words. Over words. I was just tweeting about this. There's a reason why the First Amendment protects free expression, free speech, freedom of religion. You know, uh, part of free expression and free speech, you're allowed to joke without the government suppressing you. So, and the idea is there shouldn't be physical violence imparted on people or you shouldn't be locked in a cage because of words. And so this is a joke. Now, you could say it was a mean joke. You could say it was a bad joke. But to resort to physical violence, telling a joke and resorting to physical violence are in totally different moral universes. Never mind just moral categories, totally different universes. Obviously, the violence is a colossal escalation. And you've got to keep it real, man. If you're somebody who is in a position of uh, you know, being a celebrity, being known, that's par for the course, dog. If you've achieved any level of celebrity or public acknowledgement, doesn't matter how small, that's going to happen. Like, it's going to happen where people are going to make fun of you, people are going to shit on you, people are going to despise you, people might make hate accounts around you. Like, that's what happens. And look, it's just everything balances out because at the same time, Will Smith is viewed as one of the greatest actors of all time, and so many people love him. And so, of course, there's going to be some percentage of people who don't. And that's just, you got to roll with the punches. That It is what it is. And so if you can't, the old saying goes, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. And my guess is he enjoys being famous. He enjoys this life he's created. So you got to roll with the punches on that. The idea of setting the precedent of like, comedian tells a joke. I don't care if it's mean or if it's bad or if it goes too far or whatever. Comedian tells a joke. And then we're debating whether or not it's okay to do violence in response to that. Think of the precedent that sets. I said, you thought this was bad. Go watch any of the roast battles. Have you ever seen any of those Comedy Central roasts? This joke was tame compared to the shit that you see on those things. It just was. Now, if we apply this standard objectively, where some people say, he's doing the right thing, he's defending his wife's honor, etc., etc., should every roast battle turn into a melee where everybody's beating everybody's ass because people are insecure and have uh, hurt feelings and are fragile? No, 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 no. That makes absolutely no sense. And, of course, the uh, biggest piece of hypocrisy of all are the people who on the one hand will turn around and talk about the suppression of free speech on college campuses and how comedians can't make a joke anymore without having the mob come after them and then turn around and say well I think what Will Smith did to Chris Rock was based he's defending his wife's honor or whatever no 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 that's totally unacceptable look I wasn't even going to talk about this story but the thing that made me feel like I want to go out here and say something now is that I saw the reaction even on my Twitter timeline where it literally appeared like a 50-50 proposition. 
where a lot of people were like, hey, man, look, I kind of understand where he's coming from. Chris Rock stepped out of line. He said something fucked up. He did this. He did that. I simply do not give a fuck how fucked up what he said was. It's a joke, and he's doing his job. This is his job. This is what he does. And in the context of sitting in the front row at the Oscars, you're consenting to having people roast you, any of the hosts roast you. It is what it is, man. And so, look, it just strikes me that he's genuinely fragile. And I will say it's a little weird that there was that whole thing that exploded with Will Smith and his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, and how Jada Pinkett Smith and August Alcina had a relationship. And um, apparently August Alcina doesn't have a scratch on him. And Will, to me, whatever he says, he looks to me like he wasn't really all that happy about the fact that Jada was basically dating this younger man. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's an open relationship. Maybe he is genuinely okay with it. From what I could gather, watching them talk about it in various forums, it struck me like Will was deeply hurt at the fact that Jada Pinkett Smith was looking elsewhere. So you got August Alcina and Jada Pinkett Smith in a relationship, and a lot of stuff was going down in that relationship, and he don't have a scratch on him. So you're allowed to have sex with his wife, but you can't make a joke about his wife. Again, I'm just trying to find the moral standards here, man. I'm just trying to find what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable when it comes to violence. Now, of course, in my opinion, neither one of those things would be okay with violence. Neither one of them is okay. Even if there was no consent on Will's part and Jada just cheated with August Alcina, in that situation, good, I'm glad there's no violence. That's a good thing. But you can't do violence over a joke, even if it was a mean joke, even if it was a bad joke, whether he knew about the alopecia or didn't know about the alopecia. And, by the way, now you have, there's the Streisand effect here, right? Because presumably... Will Smith felt like that was disrespectful and it hurt his feelings, it hurt his wife's feelings, and you, it was a taboo subject and you can't cross that line, I can't believe you crossed that line. But now, way more people know about the alopecia and way more people know about this topic which Will Smith and his wife view as taboo because you assaulted Chris Rock over it. If you didn't assault Chris Rock over it, only the people who watch the Oscars would know about it. Now granted, that's a lot of people, but now it's probably at least double that because this thing's going to make news globally. Everywhere they're going to be talking about it. So even from a purely pragmatic and practical perspective, if this is something that you don't like and you don't want people to hear it, well, you just, the opposite happened. You made it so more people are going to hear it now. But, look, it's amazing to me. And the substantive point to make here is, oh, there definitely are multiple justice systems. That's for damn sure. And if you're rich and powerful, like if that was, if this exact scenario unfolded anywhere in America among poor people, among working people, somebody would be taken out in handcuffs. Now, again, I'm not saying that should happen to Will Smith. If Chris Rock doesn't want to press charges, Chris Rock doesn't want to press charges, you know, and that's his prerogative, that's totally fine. But if this happened anywhere in America, and it was poor people, and it was working class people, somebody would be taken out in handcuffs. That's for damn sure. And here we have a situation where that doesn't happen, and in fact, the show goes on like almost like nothing happened, you know? So it shows you something about wealth. It shows you something about power. And look, I understand. For the people who are sympathizing with Will on this, I get the idea that we've all, like, I grew up with Will Smith. I love Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. His career is astounding. I I love every aspect of it. I think he's a phenomenal actor. I think he's funny, you know? Um, So I grew up with him, and I like him, which leads me to be more likely to sympathize with him in a situation like this. But there's that old saying that justice is supposed to be blind. You know, it doesn't matter the entire backstory and how much you like somebody, how much you care about somebody. That's why when there is a crime that's committed, you have a jury of your peers, and there are no biases in that jury. They can't be somebody who's known you forever and really like you and relate to you because 
you're supposed to look, evaluate the action based on the merits of what happened, not based on all this other baggage that you're bringing into it. So I get feeling sympathetic to an extent, but you know who I feel even worse for? Chris Rock. I feel even worse for him because he just got his ass beat. He got hit in the face because he was doing his job. But, look, credit to him because, again, he let the show carry on in a professional manner. He said he's not going to press charges, so he's being the bigger man on it. And to Will Smith, man, he just he strikes me as unbalanced. He strikes me as unbalanced. He strikes, strikes me as unhinged. He strikes me as unhappy, you know. And um, it's just a shame that any of this happened. Obviously, this should have never happened. You can't lay this precedent. So now anybody gets a, anytime anybody gets offended by a joke, now it's a debatable thing if the comedian gets their ass beat. Obviously, that has a chilling effect on comedy. Nobody's going to be able to say anything. And everybody, everybody gets, you know, a mountain of justifications and rationalizations because they're in their fifis and they're snowflakes. No. Just get over it. Look, get over it. That's part of being an adult. That's part of, you know, especially as a public figure. If you don't like it, okay. Then try your best to hide yourself from it. Don't pay attention to it. Don't immerse yourself in it. And every now and then when you happen to cross paths with something that, that triggers you, let it slide. Let it slide. Because, again, in my opinion, the more macho thing to do is to not react as he reacted. The more macho thing to do is to take your lumps. Because everybody's getting ripped on, man. That's par for the course. And that, it, it is true, man. That Hollywood room, it is true that college campuses and, like, Hollywood rooms are the most uptight motherfuckers on the planet. And this is a great example of it right here, you know. Because forget, like, in comedian circles, people will say the most over-the-top things to each other that really go for the soft spots. And that's just part of the culture. That's par for the course. And even in like political commentator circles, it, the, there is, there's some of that. It's not as bad as comedians. It's not as much as comedians, but there's some of that. But it appears to me in Hollywood, the, it's the exact opposite ethos. That everybody needs to be fake 24-7. Everybody needs to walk on eggshells 24-7. And that entire culture to me is gross. That entire culture to me is synthetic. You know? And so... It's not something that I relate to at all by any stretch of the imagination. And, it, again, it's astounding to me that something like that could happen, and half of the people on Twitter are like, Chris Rock sort of had it coming, dog. So now, um, because, because, look, you have to have a standard when it comes to violence, and you guys know I've talked about this all the time, whether it comes to international affairs or whether it comes to personal affairs, I think the only time violence is justified is self-defense from imminent attack. And so by my standard of violence, the only person who would have been in the right there to enact any sort of violence is Chris Rock to defend himself from what Will Smith was doing. And it's words, and then it gets escalated to violence. Whoever escalates it to violence is in the wrong, and that's obvious. But look, uh, Will Smith, we'll see what he says in the coming days. My guess is he'll, come for, he'll release some sort of apology. But he did semi-apologize in his uh, reward, uh, award speech, but what he said was, I apologize to the Academy. And he apologizes to, you know, the room. He didn't apologize to Chris Rock. So we'll see if that happens. Um, but either way, obviously, it should have never gotten to this point. And I truly am astounded that a lot of people are defending Will Smith and really going that extra level to defend him where they're trying to, like, morally justify it and ethically justify it. I would just beg of those people, think of the precedent that that sets. It will be the worst imaginable precedent. Okay. Is there any part of this that I'm missing? Let me see.
All right, let's talk about Joe Biden. We'll move on. So Joe Biden gave a speech the other day in Poland, and, you know, this made big news. He had a line at the very end of his speech, which was very eyebrow-raising and very concerning. Let's take a look. rebuilding an empire will never erase the people's love for liberty. Fertility will never grind down their will to retreat. Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia. For free people refuse to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness. We will have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principle, hope and life, of decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. God bless you all, and may God defend our freedoms, and may God protect our troops. Thank you for your patience. Thank you. Thank you. So he said, uh, Putin, quote, cannot remain in power. Uh, now, many people, understandably, look at that and say, did you just call for regime change in Russia? Now, to be fair, he's not saying, like, the U.S. is going to send in SEAL Team 6 and do it, or we're going to put boots on the ground and invade Russia and do it. He's not saying that, and that would be genuinely suicidal, because Putin has nukes, and he has more nukes than the United States does. Uh, But certainly at least a call that this guy can't remain in power. Now, the mechanism of that, unclear. Now, if he's talking about, hey, sanctions might lead the people to overthrow him, that's one interpretation, or, you know, sanctioning the oligarchs might force pressure behind the scenes where there's some movement in that direction. That's another thing. And that would be, of all the different potential options that are on the table, that would be the least bad. But also having said that, any of this thirst and lust for regime change, it's like careful what you wish for, because every other time and place we've seen it, it's gotten worse. Like when Libya's Gaddafi was overthrown, it got worse. When Saddam Hussein was overthrown, it got worse. And that's absolutely possible in Russia. Like, how do you know what's going to come after Putin? Now, of course, Putin did invade Ukraine, so it's pretty bad right now, obviously. He's a domestic menace. He's authoritarian, et cetera. But he still could be replaced by somebody worse. So just it's a dumb thing to say, especially in the context of do you want peace talks or do you not want peace talks? If you want peace talks, you can't then turn around and say you being in power is totally illegitimate anyway because then it's like you're not an honest actor in the peace talks. Because ultimately your goal is not peace. Your goal is regime change. So um, now they did walk it back. And I want to read you that. So take a look at it here. Mediaite says, a short time later, an official who declined to be named walked those comments back, saying it was not about regime change or overthrow, but about Putin's larger position on the world stage. Quote, the president's point was that Putin cannot be allowed to exercise power over his neighbors or the region. The official said he was not discussing Putin's power in Russia or regime change. As Josh Letterman noted on MSNBC, President Biden's comments caught a lot of people off guard and raised questions about whether there's been a change to U.S. policy toward removing President Putin from office. On his face, the comment from the White House official, who declined to be named, does not go all the way to clarifying Biden's statement about Putin, quote, remaining in power, at least not insofar as why he said it that way. Okay, so, I mean, I'm happy that they're coming out saying, I know we said regime change, but... He doesn't mean regime change. I'm happy they're walking it back. But the idea that they're trying to gaslight us into saying that he's not in favor of Putin being removed from power is ludicrous because he literally said Putin 
cannot remain in power, which means he should be removed from power, which means they want to change the regime. It is what it is. Now, the other question is, and people are debating this, and I genuinely don't know the answer. Was that, like, in the speech, in the teleprompter, or is that something that he ad-libbed? I don't know. Uh, but honestly, either way, I find it concerning. It's more concerning if it was actually written down in the speech, uh, but it's still concerning even if it wasn't. And again, the most important point, guys, you can't stress this enough. You can't say that and then also say, but we want to negotiate a peace deal with you. Because, of course, the rebuttal from the Russian government is, well, how can you negotiate with a government that's illegitimate, a regime that must be changed by your own words? So you're not an honest actor in these negotiations. You're not an honest broker. And so it just makes it easier for the camps to ossify and to not find some sort of an agreement. And that's literally the last thing we want at the moment. What we want is you want to provide an off-ramp. Now, don't get me wrong. I also think, based on Putin's actions, that Putin is not really all that interested in peace at this moment because there's been a number of concessions from Zelensky, and we'll get more to that later. And there appears to be not an acceptance yet on the part of Russia. So... He also is probably not, uh, you know, an equal partner in trying to pursue peace. But I think we should do everything we can do in the West to try to show, in no uncertain terms, that is what we want. And you have to provide an off-ramp. I mean, honestly, guys, I'd be talking about, look, let's have a negotiation. Let's use diplomacy. Here are the prongs of what a deal, potential deal would be. Let's, let's figure out the terms and all the specifics of it. And, oh, by the way, if we have this negotiated peace agreement, well, then we'll talk about removing sanctions. Because we just sanctioned the entire Russian economy and tried to make it implode, and we're hurting innocent Russian civilians through no fault of their own. They didn't do anything wrong. A lot of them oppose what Putin is doing, and we're hurting them. So, okay, look, maybe we'll remove some of the sanctions. Maybe we'll remove half of the sanctions. Maybe we'll remove 75% of the sanctions. Maybe we remove all the sanctions, depending on what the terms of the peace deal is. But when you're out there saying, like, he's got to go, well, obviously that more than throws a wrench in the entire thing. It blows up the entire negotiation. So that is definitely not good. And, um... We're going we're gonna to witness the consequences now, because this was registered by Russia. There's no doubt about it. So, should have never said that. I don't care whether it was in the teleprompter or not. Either way, it's bad. And, but I also should state at the end here, anybody who's interpreting this as like, Biden is calling in SEAL Team 6 to overthrow Putin, or we're about to do a ground invasion of Russia, or NATO's about to do that, I think that that's a total misreading of the situation. Because again... He literally can't do that. It's not possible. Putin has the nukes. You know that that is literally calling for World War III. That's like, launch the nukes now. Like, you're begging to have the, the nukes launched right now and to have, like, New York City and L.A. and all these different places destroyed. So you can't do that. You just can't do that. And they know that. So really, what Biden is saying should have never said it, but it's also more of, like, in a sense, wishful thinking. Like, well, wouldn't it be great if this guy was gone? That's seems to be the gist of what he's saying here, because the U.S. can't have a policy of actual regime change, because it's not possible with a country that has nukes, which is why the stakes for this are so much higher. This isn't like bullying around Afghanistan or Iraq, which is bad enough. This is, you know, the guy we know has weapons of mass destruction, so he is protected in a certain sense from a global backlash of a militaristic nature. It's one thing for Ukraine to fight back. It's another thing for other global powers to get involved militarily because that's an escalation of the conflict that could end in global catastrophe. So anyway, there you have it. Uh, let's hope that somehow through all this, there remains a way to achieve some sort of peace, but 
It ain't looking good at the moment. So Francis, 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 why does that word sound strange when I say it? France is, so Francis Emmanuel Macron, um, he came after Biden because Biden shoved his foot directly in his mouth by saying Putin needs to, quote, be removed from power. Let's take a look at what Macron said in response to that. Mediaite says, in an interview with Francis Channel 3 uh, via Reuters, Macron called for Biden to hold his verbal fire, quote, I wouldn't use this type of wording because I want because I continue to hold discussions with President Putin, Macron said. He added, we want to stop the war that Russia has launched in Ukraine without escalation. That's the objective. If this is what we want to do, we should not escalate things, neither with words nor actions. After visiting Ukrainian refugees in Poland on Saturday, reporters asked Biden what the experience of seeing those people made him think as he deals with Putin. Quote, he's a butcher, the president said. In a speech later in the day, Biden said of Putin, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. The White House has since walked back the president's comments, uh, quote, the president's point was that Putin cannot be allowed to exercise power over his neighbors or the region. An unnamed White House official said he was not discussing Putin's power in Russia or regime change. So this is just verification of what I laid out for everybody in the previous segment. This is Macron, who's been more directly dealing with Putin than any other Western leader, at least in so far as I've seen. He's saying, you absolute moron, you absolute dolt. You idiot. If there's any chance of us getting any kind of peace, some negotiated settlement or whatever, it's only going to happen if you acknowledge that their government is their government. You can't say, let's make a deal with you, and by the way, the deal is null and void because we don't even view you as the legitimate authority. So by him saying it, it ossifies everybody's position, and it almost guarantees further conflict. And also, look, there's some speculation that this shows that even if there is some sort of a peace deal reached, the U.S. might be like, we reject it. But hold on now. If Ukraine agrees to something and Russia agrees to something, well, then who the fuck are we as an outside party to say, well, we don't agree to that. You guys are going to have to keep fighting because we don't agree to it. That would be the, the height of arrogance if the U.S. did that. And with comments like this, you start to wonder, is that something they would say? Is that something they would do? Would they just destroy any potential for peace because they're trying to, through other economic means, squeeze out Putin and change the government. And as I pointed out before, you've got to be careful what you wish for. Now, we don't know. It is possible that, let's say, the economic sanctions that have been put on the oligarchs are so extreme that they're like, we can't have this guy stay in power. He's hurting our bottom line too much. And they try to do something to squeeze him out of power. And then maybe it works. Now, is it possible that in a situation like that, you get somebody better? Yeah. But is it also possible that uh, the person could be worse than Putin? Yes. Yes. How many times does history have to teach us this lesson? Look at what happened in Iraq. Look at what happened in Libya. Like, oftentimes, when there's outside meddling, things get worse. And then furthermore, it wouldn't, like, this wouldn't be some sort of movement to democracy either. You know what I mean? And Biden laid this out in his speech, talking about, oh, we need to care about freedom and justice and democracy and whatnot, and saying, oh, the regime has to be changed. It's like, well, is he going to be squeezed out, and then the person who's going to be put in there is going to be through a Democratic vote? No, it's almost certainly the case that you're going to replace one autocrat with another autocrat. And so I do find like the, the U.S. cloaking itself in virtuousness to be really disingenuous, because like I always tell you, we support 73% of the world's dictatorships. This idea that we have a principled um, 
belief in democracy is laughable. It's laughable. We just want dictators who are uh, kind to our own corporate interests. Like, that's what we want. And we pretend like that's not the case. So anyway, Macron is fed up. Macron is standing up to Biden here. And he's like, can you stop throwing a wrench in our negotiations? Now, don't get me wrong. There's also a million and one ways in which Putin is throwing a wrench in the negotiations, too, because Zelensky's made a number of concessions and Putin is basically still invading. So he's also perhaps not a partner for peace at this moment because he hasn't reached uh, some of the objectives that he views are necessities for him. So he might not be a partner in peace either, but we want to try to get everybody to the table as much as possible and work out some sort of genuine deal. And with the U.S. saying that, this, they're posturing as we're not interested in that. We're interested in squeezing you out more than anything else. So that is not a good thing. And um, just so everybody understands, because, and I'm sure most of you know this already, but it bears repeating, the way the global order works is so the U.S. is the leader. The U.S. is the big dog. And now we have a unipolar world. It looks like it's becoming a multipolar world now. But Macron is effectively subservient to Joe Biden. And France is subservient to U.S. interests. And so for Macron to come out and say this is really like, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And it's, he's behind closed doors. What he's saying is, you fucking jackass. Why would you do this? And it puts the world in more and more danger the more he says stuff like this. Because, you know, they might kick up that, you know, the, the nuclear risk rating too in Russia over this. They already kicked it up a little bit. They might kick it up even more because now you got the U.S. president talking about you got to be removed from power. It, there are no upsides to doing it, none whatsoever. So he never should have said it. It's an absolute disaster, and I think the French president is 100% correct. All right, now let's go to Zelensky. So President Zelensky of Ukraine... Um, has now come out and made another major concession to Vladimir Putin. So let's take a look here. This is reported in Reuters. Ukraine is willing to become neutral. So he's already done that concession, but now we may do more. Uh, and, and compromise over the status of the eastern Donbass region as part of a peace deal, President Zelensky said. Zelensky took his message directly to Russian media in a call that the Kremlin warned Russian media not to report. Whoa. Now, that's bizarre. So he is going to Russian media and saying, I'm willing to concede on your major points. And the Russian government is like, don't you dare show him saying that he wants to concede on our major points. Now, why would President Putin do that? Why would he do that? Maybe because the things that he has stated as these are the major concessions we need, maybe that's not all he wants. Maybe he actually wants more than that. So stop and think about it. Now, we already knew, because this is now the third time Zelensky's come out and said, no NATO. Okay, no NATO. He said it before the invasion. He called uh, Ukraine joining NATO a dream. And then he made clear recently, um, look, we're not going to join NATO. It's off the table. He said it even more clearly than he ever did before. And now is the third time he's saying the thing that Vladimir Putin, the thing that you claim you care the most about, you got it, dog. You win. It's over. You won on that front. I'm giving you, um, it's a full concession. You want our neutrality? You don't want us to be part of NATO? NATO? Okay, well, we're going to be neutral, and we're not going to be part of NATO. The third time he's now said it. Now, is there an acknowledgement from President Vladimir Putin? No. Has there been a drawdown of troops after he said this? No, there has not. So the nominal biggest thing 
Putin cared about, he's won on, and he's still in the country. Okay. But then we get the next biggest thing. Now, this uh, tweet sort of misstates it just a little bit because I read the entire article and it goes further than that. They're not actually just talking about the eastern Donbass region, which now that's on the table. Now, I don't know if Zelensky saying we'll agree to have them as independent states, or I don't know if he's even going a step further and saying, look, who are we kidding? You guys can be part of Russia. I don't know. My guess is that if a deal's actually worked out and reached, it's going to be, okay, that's now part of Russia. So Russia just annexing territory that was Ukraine's. But it actually goes further than that. His actual quote was the currently occupied regions. He said, we can't, we cannot fight, Ukraine cannot fight back to get some of the regions which are occupied by Russia now, because then that would spark World War III. So he's conceding that not just Eastern Donbass, he's also effectively saying Crimea, which they took in 2014 and have occupied ever since. So now you have the Ukrainian president saying, no NATO, we're going to be a neutral state. So in other words, we're not aligned with the West. We're not going to align with the West. And then also, if you want Eastern Donbass and if you want Crimea, well, let's work out a deal and maybe, maybe that happens. So wait, 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 wait. So now we're at the point where the main things that Putin was saying he wanted, he now has. So I'm waiting. Let's, let's go. Like, is, is, is the deal coming? Is the deal going to be announced? Is Putin going to accept this? Because he's winning on his biggest prongs. And again, he hasn't yet. Now, maybe he will. And if he does, that'll be great. And maybe we just averted a worst-case scenario where there's been tit-for-tat escalation, maybe where we might end up in World War III. But as I told you guys from the beginning, my thinking has evolved on this. The more information I took in and the more I read about it and the more I listened to Putin's own words, because it was clear to me, This wasn't just about NATO. Um, This was also about territorial expansion goals. This was about Russian imperial ambitions. This was about gaining access to the natural gas that's in Crimea. It's in eastern Ukraine, but it's also in western Ukraine. And so the invasion, remember, did not just happen in the east. It wasn't just in the east. They also moved on Kyiv. They also moved on Lviv, which is the western portion of the country. So it looked to me like his real ambition was march in, take over all of Ukraine, and effectively declare, this is ours. And along with Ukraine being theirs, so would all of the tremendous amount of natural gas that was just found in the country. That's my guess. I think that's a big motivating factor in a similar way that what the U.S. did in Iraq had a lot to do with oil. So we'll see. I hope that this is enough of a concession where Putin's like, you know, good enough, I'll take it. Because the economy is imploding at home for Russia. Um, they become a global pariah, the likes of which I'm not sure I've ever seen. This is far above and beyond what happened with Iran, far above and beyond what happens with, like, Cuba. So I hope it's enough. I hope it'll work, but it's also possible it doesn't. We'll have to wait and see. But the possible things moving forward are there is some sort of deal along these lines that's worked out. We, we avert World War III that satiates Putin enough with his expansionist goals and, but then what's likely to happen is he'll keep funding other separatist regions and, try, and eventually in another 10 years he'll invade somewhere else and try to take it. That's also possible. It is possible that the idea of appeasement just crumbles and doesn't work at all. Um, and it is also possible now that even with this deal on the table, as we're currently seeing, it's not enough because he wants all of Ukraine because he said it. Talk, blood and soil speech. We built Ukraine. Uh, we funded Ukraine. They're in debt to us. They turned their back on us. And so now we're going to take what's rightfully ours. That's effectively what he said in his speech. 
So I don't know how it's going to go, but all I can say is this. What Zelensky is doing is far more serious in terms of trying to get peace compared to anybody else in the conversation. You got Biden giving a speech talking about, you know, the Russian regime needs to be changed. This God, God, this man, man cannot remain in power, or whatever he said. That's roughly the words that he said. You have Putin, who's gotten concession after concession, not acknowledged it and not changed course after getting those concessions. So it looks like Putin's not upfront and honest and a, really a partner in peace because he wants more. And it looks like Biden's not a partner in peace because we're just trying to squeeze out the Russian regime and who gives a fuck what comes next. Um, and it looks like Zelensky's the only one who, to some extent, is serious about this, which is why he's making these concessions. And, but there's also things you can read uh, between the lines here, too. Like, is one of the reasons why Zelensky's saying this because he feels like, well, if we don't get a deal like this now, then we are going to lose all of Ukraine. That's possible. That's possible. Um, but again, I just hope that some sort of deal gets worked out. And I will say, no matter what the terms of an eventual deal are, like, nobody's going to be happy. But that's usually what happens when you have a war. You know, at the end of it, it's usually not clean. It's not clean. There are no winners. In war, it only creates losers on top of losers on top of losers. Everybody loses. Everybody's upset. Families are broken. People are dead. Um, and sometimes a negotiated deal is the right way to go. Sometimes there is no appeasing the aggressor. We don't know. Like, we're, these are all things that when eventually things get settled in the future, you'll look back and you'll be able to uh, get a better understanding of the situation more. In the moment, it's hard to determine it. But... It strikes me that Zelensky is the one who's more a partner in peace than anybody else. The one thing he took off the table, which he's right to, is this idea of total demilitarization, where Putin's like, you have to give up like, all your weapons. Are you fucking, you're attacking them. <laughs> I know I'm punching you in the face repeatedly, but you have to promise not to punch me back. The fuck is that? That's the most ridiculous thing anybody could ask for, and that's what Putin's asking for. So, but we'll see. Is it enough? Will there be peace? I don't know, but... This is, make no mistake about it, this is a huge deal, and this is a giant concession. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, I got Putin whines about being canceled, and then I got Joe Rogan schooling an anti-gay guest. Stay right there.
Alright, we're back, bitches. We are back. Let's continue. I got another one on Russia, and then we're off. We're off the Russia and Ukraine stuff. We got Will Smith and Russia has dominated the show so far today. So last week, Putin gave another speech, and uh, or he was doing a talk with some of his top officials and advisors, and um, he made a comment that blew up and went viral because this just shows that in 2022, all war is culture war. So let's take a look, and then I'll react. They cancelled John Rowling recently, the child, the children's author. Her books are published all over the world, even just because she didn't satisfy the demands of gender rights. They're not trying to cancel our country. I'm talking about the progressive discrimination of everything to do with Russia, this trend that's unfolding in a number of Western states with the full uh, neglect or sometimes encouragement of Western cultures, that are now engaging in the cancel culture. They're now engaging of cancel culture and canceling the entire country of Russia, just like they did to J.K. Rowling. How is this real? How is this real? This uh, reminds me of a story I just saw right before I came on air. So Elon Musk challenged Vladimir Putin to a fight, uh, and the winner gets Ukraine. (laughs) What? Um, And... Uh, Joe Rogan said on his podcast, like, yeah, I'll, I'll set that up. Like, I'll, I'll have Elon trained. I'll, I'll get Elon trained in, like, jiu-jitsu and whatever. I, how do you even respond to this, man? All war is culture war. You're bringing up J.K. Rowling? By the way, when was J.K. Rowling most recently in the news? She was in the news because Vosh made a sexist joke and basically said, like, you know, women learn to shut up and listen challenge or something like that. And J.K. Rowling screencapped that and tweeted about it and said, like, this is just like my abusive husband. And, I'm, you know, we're never going to shut up. Us feminists are never going to show up, uh, going to shut up because she's a uh, what's called a TERF, trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And so she's relatively anti-trans while being a feminist. And uh, I think, honestly, what may have happened was, Putin saw the news story about J.K. Rowling and Bosch, and that's what led him to say this, because that's when she was most recently in the news for that. (laughs) What? What? I'd like to know uh, Vladimir Putin's thoughts on um, the feud between Jimmy Dore and the Young Turks. Vlad, please take the floor. What are your thoughts on uh, Dave Chappelle's recent special? you respond to this? Okay, look. Uh, taking a, a messed up position on trans rights is nowhere near as severe as illegally invading a country leading to the deaths of thousands or tens of thousands of civilians. I know, hot take, controversial one coming from Kyle Kalinske. But no, that... He's saying they're trying to cancel Russia like they canceled J.K. Rowling. And is this also like an appeal to conservatives or something in the West? Is that what this is? Is he trying to say, hey, man, I'm part of the struggle. You know, you say one thing that's bad, 
and all of a sudden they want to cancel you. You invade one country, and all of a sudden, you know, they want to tear down your reputation. Look, on the one hand, it is absolutely true that there is now mania and hysteria and bigotry against Russians in the West. And I have a story on that later, the world's number one tennis player is being unfairly maligned and potentially banned from Wimbledon because he's Russian. So I'll get to that story. We've covered the stories about, you know, they're banning Russian vodka in different places and Russian cats were banned from a cat show. And you had the, at the Paralympics, they banned Russian and uh, Belarusian athletes. Like, yes, there is this, you know, massive overreach and this bigotry and this xenophobia and this climate of mania and hysteria against Russian people. That is absolutely true. It is also the case, Vlad, that you illegally invaded a country and are responsible for the deaths of thousands or tens of thousands of innocent people. So, again, both of those things are very, very bad and shouldn't happen. One of them is categorically worse. It is. Neither one should happen. They both cross that moral threshold. Shouldn't be allowed. Shouldn't be going on. But what you're doing, and also, let's be clear, that was the spark for everything. Like, you started the fire, dog. You started it. Yes, you got a million and one different people throwing uh, fuel on the fire and making it worse, but you started the whole shit. And now they want to cancel me just because I'm trying to take a country that's sovereign and not my own. It also, it's the perfect distillation of what happens in the whole, like, cancel culture and wokeness dialogue. Eventually what happens is it's just a wet blanket that everybody throws over everything. So... Instead of, like, arguing, arguing what's going on on the merits, it's you just skip right to, you're canceling me. This is wokeness run amok. And it's just a way to shut down further conversation about it. Just call anything, even if it's genuinely bad, just call it wokeness or cancel culture. If you genuinely did something wrong, just be like, woke mob's coming for me. So then the specifics no longer matter. Everybody shuts their brain off and they view it as, like, you know, the, the brave truth-tellers versus the oversensitive pricks. And we've seen it time and time again, you know. There's a number of times where I've seen Republicans just argue for something wrong, just like incorrect. How many times have I seen Republicans argue, Guantanamo Bay, we should double Guantanamo Bay, we should do more torture. And then people are like, hey, that's fucked up, like, ah, wokeness run amok, cancel culture coming for me, simply because I'm pro-torture. People should disagree with you and explain why that's wrong on that issue. It, originally, the idea of being overly woke or, or cancel culture, the whole idea was like you're trying to ban people who have unpopular opinions from social media or from giving speeches. That was the original idea. Now cancel culture just morphed into anything. Anything. As long as you accuse your detractors of doing cancel culture or being too woke, it's like you get to skate and you get to pretend like you're the victim. That's the gist. I think that's the heart of why this annoys me so much. It's like playing like you're the victim is you are cle- clearly the aggressor. That's what it is. She's trying to do solidarity with J.K. Rowling. I think she came out and, like, denounced him or something. I don't know. I didn't see her reaction. I heard through the grapevine that that may have happened. But, um, man, who knew that Vladimir Putin was, like, super online and super immersed in, like, you know, the nooks and crannies of, of American culture. It's crazy.
Okay, next. Joe Rogan had a comedian named Ali Sadiq on his podcast, and um, there was a very uncomfortable moment. Now, I didn't watch the whole thing. I just watched the clip that was posted on Mediaite. That's the clip that you're about to see now. Um, My guess is, and verify this if you guys listen to the podcast, put it in the comment section. My guess is that they, you know, at some point the Dave Rubin thing came up, how Dave Rubin and his husband are adopting. No, I'm I'm sorry, not adopting. They're um, having a kid or... Is it two or one? Either way. They're having a kid or kids. And, of course, they're a gay married couple. And they're, like, paying a surrogate to have the baby or babies. And, um, you know, this led to a lot of people on the far right to melt down. And, you know, they compared it to slavery. They said it's immoral and unethical. And kids need a mother and a father, yada, yada, yada. So there's this big backlash. And, I mean, Dave Rubin had cultivated a far right audience. So, you know, on the one hand, it's like, of course they were gonna, this was going to happen. I think Dave naively, genuinely thought that the right was over any sort of anti-gay feelings or bigotry. And it just, it just wasn't the case. It just wasn't the case. There was certainly a split on the right, but, and maybe it was better than it would have been 10 years ago, but still there was a lot of deep resentment over what Ruben was doing. So Ali Sadiq uh, starts commenting on this. And man, he's, he says some terrible things. And I think, I think Joe handled this pretty well because he calmly you know, dissects what he's saying and gives a, a counterpoint, which is a very powerful counterpoint. And then when Ali's not buying it, he just sort of laughs at him. So let's take a look. Let's not use the word normal. And I'm going to use the word in a natural, reproductive society. You want to send my son home to me and you want me to fucking lie to him about what, because what, my son don't understand. If I, we have two dogs outside, it's both boy dogs. There's no puppy out there that came out. There's no fucking other dog out there that came from them two. It's two. But over here, there's a female gang corso and it's a male gang corso. They have puppies. What do you want me to say to my son? What do you want me to say to my son? Do you want me to make sense of your shit or you want me to tell him the truth because this because he's going to get the truth you have two guys and they have a kid you could say they adopted the kid they they're married and they adopted a kid you could say they hired a lady to have their kid i have uh my neighbors know why in the fuck does two men live in the house together with a kid and they not his uncles I mean, I understand that shit. It's no, you cannot explain this to this boy. You can't explain gay people to him? They don't, because now I got to explain that this is not the way this shit goes. And it don't make sense to his goddamn 48-year-old father. <laughs> like, either. If I decide that women not in the cards for me, that's not what I want, then I should forfeit the right to try to have a fucking kid, too. Because you're not doing the steps to take to make it a kid. So you think that you a woman precarious situation. They have a gay relationship, no kids. No kids. But what about the adoption? They shouldn't have kids. It's not in, you're not doing you're not in a space for children. But if they want to adopt kids, you want to fuck somebody up. You want to put somebody in a position to be fucked up. It's like it's like getting a dog, but not having no fucking place for the dog to be. <clears throat> a kid who gets adopted 
by gay parents that you feel like automatically they're going to get fucked up? They're going to be fucked up automatically. Really? You don't think that they could... I have a neighbor in California, and they uh, they had a surrogate raise their kid, they're two gay guys, and they mixed their sperm up so they didn't know whose it was, and they hired a lady to get pregnant. And they shot it in there, and the first lady wanted to keep the baby. She's like, fuck it, I'm keeping the baby. And they, you know, they had a... They had to let her keep the baby because it was, she, it was inside of her body. She grew it, and she was so attached to the baby that by the time it was born, she did not want to give up the baby. Exactly. And then they hired another one, and then the second one gave up the baby. And the kid, I watched him grow up. He was my neighbor for probably eight years, somewhere around there. I was friends with the, the gay couple, friends with the kid. Kid seemed fine. He seemed normal. Come by the house on a skateboard, hang out. He seemed like a normal kid. Hung out with my kid. He seemed okay to me. You don't think that's possible? You have a look in your face like there's no fucking way. <laughs> look, look in your face. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> wow, holy shit. So I think I think Joe handled that well. He gave the counter argument and then he was like he wasn't laughing with him. Because dude wasn't laughing. He was sort of laughing at him for his ridiculous and bigoted position on this. So let's break this down. Um, He says, he's talking about his son. Like, how am I going to explain this to my son? You want me to lie to my son? To which I respond, you don't have to lie to your son. And why is it an issue explaining it to your son? He basically says, like, what do you want me to say? Make sense of it or tell him the truth? To which I respond, well, what do you think the truth is? And it's clear he thinks the truth is, like, only a man and a woman can have a baby. Therefore, only a man and a woman should be able to raise a baby. Um, But I don't know why he thinks that follows. Why does that follow? Why does it follow that if the only way they can make a baby is with a man and a woman, that therefore um, that gay married couples can't have kids, they can't adopt, they can't use a surrogate? He's like... You want me to explain this to my son? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. It's actually very straightforward and very simple. Sometimes, um, sometimes there are men or women who are not interested in the opposite sex. Sometimes they form a deep bond and fall in love with somebody of the same sex. And in a situation like that, they either adopt a kid, which is a kid who doesn't have parents at the moment, or they have a surrogate and they have a kid that way. And a surrogate is somebody who will have the baby that will then be their baby. Is that really that hard? Why, I don't understand. There's such a resistance to the idea of like a basic explanation. And honestly, it's because he's, he just intuitively feels like it's wrong or it's immoral and it's unethical. And he's projecting that out. But the fact of the matter is, I think the only place that that can come from is being raised in a very religious environment that's fundamentalist that, like, indoctrinates you with the idea that that's immoral or unethical. Because left to their own, I don't think almost anybody would say it's wrong, it's bad, it's immoral, it's unethical, it's a problem, it shouldn't be allowed. I think the overwhelming majority of people would be like, yeah, it's just a different scenario where people are raised. And to to his point of, like, well, if you can't make the baby, you can't have the baby, it's like, okay, well, what if there's just an infertile couple? Should they not be allowed to adopt? Should they not be allowed to use a surrogate? If they're just an infertile man and woman? Or what if it's an older couple that's now infertile? 
Should they not be allowed to adopt? And by the way, I mean, I'm sure the situations vary, but in some of the places, some of the foster homes where the kids are before they're adopted, some of them are brutal. So you're going to provide a much better life in most situations uh, if you do adopt a kid. So should the kid have to suffer because you feel, in your opinion, only people who can make the baby are allowed to, to raise the kid? It's just astonishingly close-minded, and he's super married to the position, and it's so rigid. It's, it's really crazy to see in real time, like, a very primitive, ancient belief espoused with such arrogance and confidence. He said he, his, his kid can't understand why there are two men living in a house with a kid, and they're not his uncle. And it's like, okay, well, explain it to him. It's really not that difficult. It's really not that difficult at all. Um, if I decide women aren't in the cards for me, I should forfeit the right to have a kid, too. That's what he said. Why? Why? There's no compelling reason for that. And look, there's some people who just, they're, they have this bigoted interpretation that, like, if there are two men or two women raising a kid, that, like, there's got to be some weird sexual perversion thing there where it's pedophilia. But that is obviously not true. It's not remotely true. I, now, I don't know if that's what he's getting at, but it seems like that if you scratch the surface, might not be too deep under there. You shouldn't have to forfeit the right to have a kid if you don't have the ability to have a kid. He said, quote, you're not in a, in, a, in a space for children. And then he said, this maybe was the worst part, it's like having a dog but not having any place for the dog to be. The, the, a kid of a gay couple is not like a dog without any place for the dog to be. Like, he seems to think it's going to, by definition, be a, a bad environment for the kid. He said, quote, they're going to be fucked up automatically. On what planet do you believe that? Like, what does this guy think? All gay people, 24-7, are walking around wearing assless chaps and doing uh, crack out of people's assholes? Like, what do you think is going on? Why is it a, a, a f fucked up situation automatically? It's not at all. In fact, there was a study on this, and we've talked about it on this show. It came out years ago. But the kids of gay parents are actually phenomenally successful. I think they actually do better in school on average than the, the kids of, of straight parents. By the way, even if that wasn't the case, it's still okay for gay people to have kids. The year is 2022. I find it astounding I have to go out there and argue these things. And then, now I don't know enough about this guy, Ali Sadiq, but oftentimes the same conservatives who scream about, you know, freedom and personal choice, they turn around and say, well, a gay couple shouldn't have the freedom or the personal choice to adopt a kid or raise a kid or have a, a surrogate and have a kid. Joe seemed to be genuinely perplexed by the fact that this guy was saying this stuff. He was like, I don't know, child. Like, I, my, neighbor, my neighbors were gay. They had a kid. The kid seemed great. kid seemed totally fine. I don't see what the problem is. And the guy's looking at Joe like he's crazy. And Joe couldn't help but laugh his way out of the awkward situation because what else can you do but laugh at such ignorance? Because that's what it is. It's deep ignorance. Look, I don't, I don't care that this guy has a personal hang-up. Your personal hang-up is irrelevant. You want to make policy based on your personal hang-up because you were raised in an uber-religious environment and you were indoctrinated with bigoted fundamentalist beliefs? Is that what you want to do? You want to destroy other people's life and their own choices and their own freedom because you have a feeling that something is icky and you just don't like it? It's unbelievable. It's, and it's the same kind of thinking, by the way, that I don't know if you guys know this. Sodomy used to be illegal in a lot of different states. And it's that same feeling of, like, oh, random, like, 
religious people think, ooh, that is icky and gross. No oral, no anal. Ban it. I don't like it. Ban it. It's that same kind of thinking. I think it's icky, so it shouldn't be allowed. Who the fuck are you? Why should anybody care what you think? You haven't established yourself as some sort of moral authority. If anything, it's the exact opposite. You've clearly not thought through these issues in any serious way. You have this, uh, this, either this moral intuition, which misfires massively, or you've been indoctrinated, or it's both. It's the indoctrination that led to the misfiring. But either way, man, Jesus Christ. 2022. That, that's where this guy's at. So anyway, again, I think Joe handled that well. He provided the counter-argument, explained how it's fine, and then when Homeboy wasn't buying it, he just started laughing at him. What else can you do? I don't know what else you can do, but that guy is, uh, is off, to say the least. But look, you go look at the replies to what Dave Rubin said, see what people were saying on Twitter. There were a lot of prominent conservatives. Milo Yiannopoulos, who says he's ex-gay. Oh, please. He has dreams about dicks. Um, you have Mark Dice, who was coming after uh, Rubin for it, you have a lot of conservatives, prominent and otherwise, who were like comparing it to slavery, saying this is wrong, this is bad, a baby needs a mother and a father, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is an extension of that same kind of thinking. So it's, it's far-right thinking, it's restrictive authoritarian thinking, and usually it's tied to fundamentalist religious notions. Okay, next. So Chris Wallace recently left Fox News, and uh, I'm going to read you how he is torching the network now on the way out the door. So Chris Wallace was one example of a guy who they put out there to maintain some degree of credibility. Um, He is one of the least partisan of the people on air, even though he still is partisan, uh, he still is conservative, but um, he was put out there as like a counterpoint to the Sean Hannity types. And um, he was there for a long time. He always defended the network. He always thought they were doing a good job. He would always say, I remember a debate he had with John Stewart one time where he always said, look, we provide the counter narrative. We provide the, provide the counterbalance to the biased mainstream media. They're so liberal. We're just providing the other perspective, the conservative perspective, and we're quote unquote fair and balanced. He seemed to really buy that propaganda and believe that notion, even though it's absurd. Fox News has always been a cesspool. Um, but now, since he's out the door, and he's launching a show, I think, on CNN+, Plus, which is CNN streaming thing, which I think launches this week, and it's going to be an abysmal disaster. I'm so sad that the numbers aren't going to be released. The numbers are only internal, because the actual numbers are going to be pathetic. Well, I'm afraid they'll find a way to rig the system and somehow end up beating other streaming services. So just we'll wait and see what happens on that front. But look at what he says about Fox News. So this is in Mediaite. Chris Wallace says working at Fox News was, quote, unsustainable after 2020 election. I, quote, no longer felt comfortable with Fox News programming. Wow. Okay, so let me read you a little bit here. Wallace gave an interview to the New York Times to promote his nightly interview program, Who's Talking to Chris Wallace, which launches Tuesday reflecting uh, on his decision to leave Fox last year. Wallace explained, I just no longer felt comfortable with the programming at the network. I'm fine with opinion, conservative opinion, liberal opinion, he continued. But when people start to question the truth, who won the 2020 election with January 6th and insurrection, I found that unsustainable. I spent a lot of 2021 looking to see if there was a different place for me to do my job. Wallace described the changes he observed in Fox News following the 2020 election. He's also confirmed, he also confirmed reports from several months ago that he complained to Fox News leadership about the conspiracy theories Tucker Carlson was spreading about the storming of the U.S. Capitol. Quote, before I found it was an environment in which I could do my job and feel good about my involvement at Fox. 
Wallace said about his time with Fox. And since November of 2020, that just became unsustainable, increasingly unsustainable as time went on. So look, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of, you know, democratic-minded people and liberals who look at this and they applaud it and they say, he kind of took a moral stand here. He said the January 6th stuff goes too far. I'm out. I can't do it anymore. And on the one hand, I'm inclined to agree with that to a certain extent because he says this crosses a line and I was lenient with my line, et cetera, et cetera. But on the other hand, and this is the thought that dominates my mind more, this misguided at best notion that, well, before Fox News was good, that's, to me, that is the most preposterous implication here because they've always been horrendous. When Chris Wallace was there, Remember when Sean Hannity attacked Obama for eating a burger with mustard on it? He had a segment on that. Remember when they said Barack Obama did a, quote, terrorist fist jab with Michelle Obama? They said that on Fox News. How many times over and over did they lie about the nature of what was going on in D.C. between Democrats and Republicans, where Democrats would concede and give more and more and more to Republicans, and Republicans would still be obstructionists during the Obama era, and they would go out there on Fox News and pretend like it's the Democrats who are unreasonable and not bipartisan and not willing to compromise and are extremists, when obviously it was the Republicans who were being extremists. I mean, for Christ's sake, Democrats had a supermajority, and they passed a Republican health care plan. That's what Obamacare was, an individual mandate system. It's like Romney Care in Massachusetts. It's an idea that was birthed at the, Her- at the Heritage Foundation, which is a right-wing think tank. You would have no idea. You would have thought it was like Che Guevara was coming over to take over our health care and nationalize the entire thing. That's how they acted on Fox News. And they would say the things about, like, you know, they're going to kill your grandma and stuff like that. This is what they were saying when Chris Wallace was there. And Chris Wallace had no objection whatsoever to any of that. Fox News is the network. Now, I don't know if Chris Wallace was there all the way back then, but Fox News was the network that wrongly called the 2000 election for George W. Bush before we knew it. And then every other network followed suit and ran with it. And that very well could have impacted the outcome because after the full recount of Florida, we found Al Gore actually won it. So they have been biased every single step of the way. They have been rigidly, ruthlessly, viciously partisan every single step of the way. And Chris Wallace was like, well, they were a great network and they were fair and balanced until the January 6th stuff. Now, does the January 6th stuff cross the line? Of course it does. Of course it does. The idea that, like, you know, hey, maybe it's okay that they stormed the Capitol and there was a riot and windows were broken and there were threats and there was an attempt by a group of losers to try to overthrow the, the government. Maybe it's okay that Trump gave a speech saying, let's go to the Capitol. And maybe that's our no, – no, 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 no. That stuff is all wrong and bad and crosses the line, but so did the other stuff. And, uh, you know, th- that's the thing that annoys me the most, that I feel like the moral meter of D.C. journalists always misfires like they never get their outrage they never calibrate their outrage properly like they're not outraged about 30 million people not having health care about 80 percent of the country living paycheck to paycheck 45 people 45,000 people dying every year because they don't have health care they're not outraged about all that they're not outraged about the endless wars they're not outraged about the arming of the azov battalion the neo-nazis or the arming of jihadists in syria they don't it's always like Little things here and there that they say, well, that crosses a line. When there were 84 things before it that crossed the line, and they were sitting there cheering it on or actively promoting the lies. And so that's what frustrates me about this thing. And my guess is, of course, Chris Wallace is going to be fully rehabilitated. He's going to be welcomed with open arms into Democratic-aligned liberal media. And it's like the bar for them is so fucking low. All you have to do is say January 6th was bad, and I don't like Trump. And they're like, yes, welcome. 
we know you love torture and illegal wars and, and a government that keeps people in poverty, but you're still okay with us because you cleared the lowest bar in human history. Now, to be fair, I don't know if Chris Wall supports torture or he probably does support illegal wars, but torture, I don't know. But point is, um, he ain't a hero. And really what he's doing is now launching a show on a streaming platform that will have roughly negative five viewers. I mean, again, this thing, CNN Plus, oof, it's going to crash and burn spectacularly. Now they might find a way to rig the system and, and beef up their numbers through coercive means. That's certainly possible. That's certainly what the big networks did on YouTube with the algorithm. Um, but fair fight, they would get obliterated. I mean, what do you have, a, a book club with Jake Tapper, a show on raising kids with Anderson Cooper? Like, uh, Casey Hunt it has a show, like, she has negative charisma. Negative charisma. And never mind, it's not like she doesn't have charisma, but she makes great points. She can make great points. So the whole thing is just a cesspool. It's just let's take all of our shitty programming that nobody likes on CNN and just now put it on the streaming platform that nobody will like or care about or buy, and then we won't release the numbers and we'll find a way to rig it so that people end up watching it in a roundabout way. All right. Uh, congrats. Um, congrats, Chris Wallace. I almost called him George Wallace. Congrats, Chris Wallace, for finally finding something that you had a moral objection to when there were like 80,000 things beforehand that you let slide or actively partook in the negative stuff. Okay, next. So Fox News went back to their well of silliness. Um, I'm sure you guys remember during the Obama era, Hannity attacked uh, Barack Obama for eating a burger with mustard. Very famous back and forth. Uh, they also made a scandal out of the fact that Barack Obama wore a tan suit. Now, understand, the thing that's extra frustrating about this is then the Democratic response is like, See, there's no real scandal, so they have to make up scandals. No, wrong. There were real scandals, but they were never covered because people in D.C. media are unserious corporate hacks. So real scandals would be like Barack Obama drone striking a 16-year-old American and killing him. That was a real scandal. Real scandal, scandal was uh, what we learned from Daniel Hale, which is the uh, death rate, 90% the wrong people, 90% innocent civilians with our drone program. Those were real scandals. It wasn't talked about much because Fox News was busy with their broken outrage meter going after the silliest things ever, like a tan suit and how he eats his burger. But now we are adding to that list of getting angry for the dumbest reasons ever. Look at what they decided to go after Joe Biden about. And it's beyond just not, not inspiring. It's not inspiring, but it's beyond that. It, it, everybody's just scratching their heads and wondering, what in the hell is this guy talking about? He needs, he needs to go away. This is, this is getting very serious. And, and, and that's exactly right. We've got to survive three years of this. I don't know how we're going to survive it. And there he is, to see North Korea firing up a slice of jalapeno pizza. Excuse me, I had something spicy in my pizza, and I, I, I don't know what I can do. Uh, to, to make sure this meeting goes well. You're right. It's, it's mortifying for people who love this country, want us to be successful on the world stage, yet, yet see it flailing in front of us. They went after him for eating pizza. He looked weird while he ate it. The jalapenos made him cough a little bit. I don't know. What, what are you doing? What are you guys doing? Of all the fucking things, this is the thing that you do? This is the thing that you go after him for? His entire Build Back Better agenda 
wasn't able to get through because of mansion and cinema. So many good provisions went up in smoke. Universal pre-K, elder care, extended child tax credit, lower prescription drug prices, uh, free collars, the list goes on and on. There's no criticism of like, hey, some of those things you could probably do through executive order and you should do that and that'll help a lot of people and you're not doing it. So we're going to come after you for that. They could do that, but of course they're not going to do that because that's attacking you from the left. That's attacking you from a principled policy perspective. So instead they go for the low-hanging fruit, in this case the low-hanging pizza, and they're like, ha, look at him, defeated by a slice of pizza. What a cook. What are you doing? You're really embarrassing us on the world stage. What's embarrassing is you idiots. You're embarrassing. Uh, and again, this is a rare instance where they actually probably agree with everything Biden's done policy-wise, so they're just trying to find a way to attack him, and any way will suffice. Because they, what, they agree with the 80,000 sanctions that have been put on Russia, even the sanctions that are imploding the economy and hurting regular Russians. They support all that. So they don't have a policy criticism. They probably don't even have an issue with the fact that Biden said Putin needs to be removed from power. That's something you genuinely could and should have an issue with. They agree with all that stuff. So, like, what, what can we do? I don't know. He ate pizza kind of weird. Go after him for that. Unbelievable. Now, earlier in the segment, um, they went after Biden for this. Biden was speaking to the troops, and he said, quote, we're based on an idea. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all women and men are created equal. Sounds corny, but it's the truth of who we are. We've never lived up to it, but we never walked away from it. So they went after him for saying, it sounds corny, but it's good. The fact that he said it sounds corny, that our founding documents, quote, sound corny, they, they ramped up the fake outrage meter to like, they just broke it. They broke the meter. So like, oh, you said something the founders said was corny. <laughs> okay, um, well, a lot of the founders had slaves, and owning slaves is bad. Am I canceled as a result of saying that? Are you not allowed to say that? Because the founders... Yes, the founders, yes. These guys, are they're so immune to open and honest conversation and points. They just can't have it. They can't have it. They're just looking to nitpick things and take them out of context and get fake outraged by it. That's exactly what this is. There's a million things you could say about the founders, man, that are negative. You could say a lot of good things, too, but there's also a lot of negative things. They wore powdered wigs and shat in outhouses. Am I supposed to pretend like that's based now? Am I supposed to be like, they had it all figured out, those powdered wigs and disgusting shithousers? No. You can poke fun. You, you can be honest and authentic. You can say, yes, yeah, some of the shit that was written down sounded corny. It's good ideas, but it sounded corny. And that's what he said. He said, it's, ultimately, this is good stuff, but it sounds corny. But you can't do that. You can't do that. You're only allowed to say good things about the founders in every imaginable way. That appears to be uh, their baseline here. That appears to be their criteria. And it's just so stupid. Who, it, was anybody actually upset that Joe Biden said, hey, it sounds corny, but it's good? Nobody was. Nobody was. Not anybody on Fox News. Not anybody in the country. But they muck it up. He ate pizza weird. And he said James Madison got no bitches. And these are the people who cry about cancel culture and um, wokeness. And you can't say anything these days because people come after you for it. You are the living embodiment of that. You do right-wing cancel culture. And this is it right here. For the love of God, he's a target-rich environment for real criticisms. And they have no real criticisms. Again, because they're partisan hacks. Okay.
Let me take a quick break. When we come back, uh, new poll, Bell's midterm disaster for the Democrats. Stay right there, y'all.
All right, y'all, are we back? We are back. Let's keep it going. <clears throat> we have some new polls that just came out on uh, the midterm election and the Democrats and Biden, and it is it's bad, to say the least. So let me go ahead and throw that on screen for you guys now. McInturf, awesome name, conducted the survey with Democratic pollster Jeff Horwitz of Heart Research Associates, and this is an NBC News poll, uh, Republicans had a two-point lead when respondents asked which party they like to see take control of Congress. Now, when you factor in the gerrymandering, Democrats have to win by like five or six or seven points now to actually retain control, and that is a disaster for them. Roughly 71% of respondents said they believe the nation is, quote, off on the wrong track, 71%. 62% said their family's income is falling behind the cost of living, which respondents ranked as the most important issue facing the nation. Jesus, 62% family's income is falling. 28% of respondents said they have either a great deal or quite a bit of confidence in Biden's ability to respond to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Jesus, each one of these numbers is horrendous. On coronavirus, 51% of adults approve of Biden's handling of the pandemic. The poll indicates up from up, excuse me, up 7% from January. I think the only reason that uh, is the case, that it's a majority, is that COVID was declining for a while. So now that's reflecting in the polls, even though now we might see another bump. There's another new variant out there. 63% disapproved of Biden's handling of the economy. 63%. 51% disapproved of his management of foreign policy. I mean, the only half-decent number in there is the COVID number. And it's 51%. And I think that that might change, too, for the worst, because, again, there's another variant coming. So in every way, in every way, I mean, this is, this is, they might get a legendary shellacking. This is a bloodbath for the Democrats in the midterms. And you got to keep it real, man. It is all self-inflicted. Because there are so many things Biden could do right this second to kick up these numbers. I have no doubt about it. If he was willing to use the power of the pen, use your executive orders. Now, I'm not saying you go and do executive orders that you don't have the authority to do. That'll get slapped down in a court case. No. But do the things we know that you have the power to do, that it's not even up in the air. So, for example, legalizing marijuana is now a 70% issue. You have the overwhelming majority of Democrats, majority of independents, and a majority of Republicans. All you have to do is sign an executive order, and that's it. It's legalized. That's it. It's that simple. You could uh, take it off the scheduled substances list, or you could just demote it to, like, Schedule 3. Right now, marijuana Schedule 1, which is psychotic. And that's it. Huge win right there. Gigantic win. He would see at least, my guess is, anywhere from a 3 to a 7-point bump on that alone. That would be a big deal. He doesn't want to do it. You can, he has the ability and the authority to eliminate student loan debt. He can do that with a swipe of a pen. I think, what was it, the 1965 Higher Education Act grants the president the authority through the Secretary of Education, they could just wipe the debt slate clean. And you could even do rolling student loan debt elimination, which is effectively free college. He could do that. Now, again, he doesn't want to do that, but even if he just signed an executive order, like he originally said, I'm going to take away 50000 
of your student loan debt. If he signed an executive order doing that, even if he did just 10000 that would lead to a bump. Look, one of the Democratic strongholds is young people. That's the voting block they need to win. Young people are totally beaten down by politics right now. They have no interest in going to vote in a midterm election. They normally don't vote in midterm elections anyway, but they're even less likely to do it now without any material delivery to improve their lives. So if you just do that, if you just eliminate student loan debt or some student loan debt right there, you would get an increase again, my guess is five points or so in your approval rating. And a lot of young people would be inclined, okay, shit, now I got to go vote for these Democrats because they just eliminated my student loan debt or they just took 10000 10, or 50000 away from my student loan debt. Of course I'm going to go vote for them. And the list goes on and on. You know, there was a, a great list put together by David Dane of the American Prospect where he lays out, here are all the executive orders that Biden can do, which we know these things are legal. There's not even, you know, there's not even a counterargument. And he's not doing those things. And so when you have Congress is stalled, the Senate is stalled, you got Manchin and Cinema who blow up everything you want to do. What is there left to do? Well, you can control foreign policy, you're the commander-in-chief, okay. But then also, you can do executive orders. He's not doing it. I mean, it, is, it really goes to show you guys that there is no – he's in his ivory tower. Like, the, the conventional wisdom culture, that bubble is so thick. It really is. And nothing penetrates it unless it's from other elitist D-bags. It's true. I mean – Remember what happened when the, the establishment media went after Biden and Jen Psaki because Jen Psaki said something really stupid about testing. She was like, what do you want us to send COVID tests to everybody? <laughs> and the media was like, yeah, other countries do it. Why can't we? And then within like a week, the Biden administration's like, all right, yeah, no, we just we launched the policy, free COVID test for everybody, and they sent them out. So the one time, like, a good idea penetrated that elitist bubble in D.C., a good thing happened. But the problem is corporate media rarely lets a good idea, you know, get into D.C., and so they're just blissfully unaware in D.C. how much they're hated. Biden and the Democrats are going to get blamed for all of this stuff, and the Republicans don't have to do anything, and they'll win. This is the whole debate going on right now between Mitch McConnell and Rick Scott. Rick Scott's like, Here's our agenda. We're going to do these things. The stuff on the agenda is stupid. Nobody likes the stuff on the agenda, like raising taxes on the poorest Americans. So Mitch McConnell's like, we're not, we're not supposed to say that out loud. We're not supposed to say that out loud. If we say nothing, we win. And that's the reality. If they say nothing, they win. Because the blame is going to go on the Democrats, because the Democrats have control of the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and they're not doing anything with it. And you would think at some point these numbers would serve as a wake-up call. They're not. They're not serving as a wake-up call. Could you imagine being in Biden's position right now and doing nothing? Could you imagine? You have all this opportunity right in front of your face to do stuff that helps your party, would help your reelection chances, would help in the midterms, and would genuinely help the American people, and he just he can't do it. He can't bring himself to do it. They are so out of touch, man. They are so out of touch. It is astonishing to see. I'm astounded every time I look and I see what they're doing or the lack of what they're doing. So anyway, these numbers are just verification of that reality that we already knew. So, um, we have Rick Scott, who is a Republican senator, and he 
wanted to release an agenda for the Republican Party to run on in the midterms. Now, on the one hand, uh, that is a noble thing to do because he wants to be upfront with, here's what our party stands for. And so I respect the fact that there's transparency there. He's like, these are the things I believe. Good, good. The problem is almost everything on that list is mind-numbingly stupid. And I mean that, man. It, it, whew, we went through it in a, in a previous segment. You guys can go watch that. I got kind of animated about it because it was just stunning. Some of the stuff isn't even like policy prescriptions. It's like vague right-wing slogans from memes. <laughs> like, it's just, it's crazy. Um, well, we had Rick Scott go on Fox News, where John Roberts, the host, is actually going to press him on this. Now, the reason why, I should be clear about this, the reason why Roberts is pressing him is for the very simple reason that Mitch McConnell did not greenlight what Rick Scott did here. Mitch McConnell is basically the head of the Republican Party right now. And he's like, I didn't say this was okay. Why are you telling people that we support all these things? We don't even support a lot of these things. Now, Republicans do, but Mitch McConnell's trying to cover his ass because Mitch McConnell knows those things aren't popular. You can't say those things. So look at this back and forth. The Fox News host is actually going to pretty aggressively go after Rick Scott for one of his dumbest ideas in his policy proposal. You recently put out an 11-point plan to rescue America, two of the big points of which are, quote, all Americans should pay some income tax to have skin in the game, even if a small amount. Currently, over half of Americans pay no income tax. It also says all federal legislation sunsets in five years. If a law is worth keeping, Congress can pass it again. So that would raise taxes on half of Americans and potentially sunset programs like Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Why would you propose something like that in an election year? Sure. But John, that's, of course, the Democrat talking point. It's a no, 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 it's plan. in the plan. <laughs> it's in well, the plan. But, he, here's, here, but here's the thing about reality for a second. It's First of all, let's talk but, about but Medicare. Senator, Senator, oh, yeah, John. So it's not a Democratic talking point. It's in the plan. And also in the plan, it says we ought to every year talk about exactly how we're going to fix Medicare and Social Security. Here's what's happening. No one that I know of wants to sunset uh, Medicare or Social Security. But what we're doing is we don't even talk about it. Medicare goes bankrupt in four years. Social Security goes bankrupt in 12 years. I think we ought to figure out how we preserve those programs. Every program that we care about, we ought to stay, stop and take the time to preserve those programs. I, I mean, I just fought the postal bill because it put more responsibility on Medicare and took it off the postal service and put Medicare in a worse position. Now, let's go back. Let's talk about taxes for a second. I'll put my record up against anybody on tax cuts. I, tax, I cut taxes and fees 100 times as governor. But here's what's unfair. We have people that don't, that could go to work and have figured out how to have government pay their way. That's not right. They ought to have some skin in the game. I don't care if it's a dollar. We ought to be, all be in this together. I'm going to focus, continue to focus on reducing taxes. That's what I've done my whole life. But there's an 11-step plan. Go through it. Everybody's not going to agree with everything. 128 policy points. Let's be bold. Go to rescueamerica.com. Give me your ideas, or you can text America to 22044. Give me your ideas. I want to, I want to change this country. The woke left controls everything. We've got to win, and we've got to change the country. As you said, not everyone agrees with it, and one of the people that doesn't agree with it is Mitch McConnell. Here's what he said. Let me tell you what would not be a part of our agenda. We will not have as part of our agenda a bill that raises taxes on half of the American people. 
and sunset Social Security and Medicare within five years. That will not be part of the Republican Senate majority agenda. Now, a few days after he said that, you penned a Wall Street Journal op-ed about your plan titled, Why I'm Defying Beltway Cowardice. Are you calling Mitch McConnell a coward? What I'm saying is, what I've, I've been in D.C. for three years, right? I want to get something done. Yes, and the things you want to get done are bad. That's the point. That's the point. The things you want to do are not good for Americans. It would hurt Americans. That's the point. Okay, let's go through this. Um, he does in the, I mean, he had his policy plan quoted to his face by John Roberts. He's like, this is the Democratic talking points. You literally wrote it verbatim in your own plan that this is what you want to do. And then he reiterates it there too in the answer. A lot of Americans don't pay even a dollar in federal taxes. Shouldn't they have to pay at least a dollar? He's talking about the poorest 50% of Americans. You want to know why they don't, quote, unquote, pay a dollar in federal taxes, by the way? Uh, because they don't have any fucking money. They don't have any money. They can't afford to pay it. And, by the way, what he's not telling you is that they pay state taxes, and they pay local taxes, and they pay sales taxes, and they pay plenty of taxes. They don't pay any federal taxes because they don't have the money to do it because they are poor, or lower middle class. Do you understand that? So, but I, I love this because it's mask off. That's what this is. This is a Republican being honest about what he really believes in regards to taxes. Because my entire life, and I'm sure a lot of you guys have had the same experience, the one argument that you've heard from Republicans and, you know, the politicians and the voters, the one area where they tried to outflank the Democrats in a more populist way consistently is this idea of like, look, the whole reason I'm a Republican is because I want you to be able to keep your own money and make your own decisions with that money. I don't want the federal government taking it and putting it towards a bunch of stupid stuff. So I want you to have more of your own money and make your own decisions. But this is something my uncle, who, who's passed away now, he's been gone for a while, but one of the, he was a hardcore Republican, he was a fundamentalist Christian. It's one of the things he always told me. He's like, once you start making a paycheck, you'll understand. That's why you want to vote Republican, you want to keep your own money. But what he never understood because he never went through the, the plans with a fine-tooth comb. I remember going back and breaking down the McCain versus Obama plans in 2008 about this. The Republicans, when they talk about cutting taxes, they're never talking about the working class and the poor. They are always talking about the wealthy, usually the top 1%. Oftentimes, they're talking about like the top 10% or 15%. But if you look at their proposals, they very clearly like raising taxes on the middle class and the poor. That's what they like doing. And he's admitting it here. At least he's admitting it. He's being honest. Yeah, the bottom 50%. Now he tries to weasel out of it when he's called Democratic talking point. But then he goes on to restate it. Yeah, you should pay a tax if you're in the bottom 50%. They can't afford it. They can't afford it. So tax cuts are awesome unless the people don't have a lot of money, in which case we should raise their taxes. And so who do you want to cut it for? The wealthy. That's what he wants to do for the wealthy. So yeah, astonishing. Now the whole thing on sunsetting Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security He's caught on that, too. He's caught speeding because his only answer is, well, what we need to do is talk about how we're going to fix these programs. So what he's saying is implement the thing about sunsetting it, and then we'll readdress it in Congress as we go along. Does anybody believe they'd actually do that if they sunset it? No. This is the same thing. They do this with tax loopholes all the time. There's all these uh, loopholes and deductions for the, the wealthy. They put in those loopholes and those deductions, and then they have the nerve to say, yeah, but we're going to come back and we'll get rid of them. 
No, you're not. They're going to stay there, and they're going to stay there permanently. And if you get rid of these programs, they're going to be gone permanently. So he's, just, he's caught speeding. He also lies and says Medicare is going to go bankrupt in four years. Social Security is going to go bankrupt in 12 years. Let me tell you something. I've been doing this show for about a decade. Uh, they've been saying that since I was on the air. You know, back in like 2012, I'm doing a show, and they used to say, oh, Medicare is going to go bankrupt in four years. Uh, it's been more than four years, bitch. Still around. Every time they calculate the numbers, they say, oh, it's uh, X amount of years in the future. It hasn't gone bankrupt yet. And by the way, even if it would go bankrupt, the way to fix it is so easy. Social Security in particular, it is so easy. You just uh, raise the cap on the payroll tax. So instead of your Social Security only gets paid by your first hundred and it's about $110,000, if you raise that cap, uh, then you can fund it as far as the eye can see. Because like, here's a good example to describe how it works right now. Like, LeBron James only pays that tax on his first $106,000 that he makes. But if you, if you tax him on all the money he makes, let's say whatever it is, $20 million in a year, well, then you've got a lot more money coming in. So the rich folks can fund Social Security more into the future. Why not? That's the way to do it if you're going to do anything. His ideas are just bad. And even Fox News is coming after him. But make no mistake about it, it's because Mitch McConnell doesn't like this, that Fox News has the green light to go after Rick Scott on it. So I just want to read uh, again for you through some of his plans. You can see how pathetic it is and how dumb it is. And this is why Mitch McConnell didn't want him to do this, because these ideas are stupid. So the very first thing in his, in his policy plan, ready? Our kids will say the Pledge of Allegiance. What? They will salute the flag. They will learn that America is a great country and choose the school that best fits them. So in the first plank, it's school privatization and let's do enforced patriotism on them. So, and these guys always scream about like propaganda in our schools, left-wing propaganda in our schools. Their solution to that is let's do right-wing propaganda. Let's make the, our, our kids uber-nationalists. So don't teach the good and the bad, just teach the good about America. That's what he wants. And be blindly patriotic, salute the flag, stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. This is the first thing in his 11-point policy plan. Then his second thing, government will never again ask American citizens to disclose their race, ethnicity, race, ethnicity, or skin color on any government form. Brave. Thank you very much. Then we have safety and crime. The soft on crime days of coddling criminal behavior will end. Yes, because I remember when uh, Democrats in Congress passed the let's coddle criminals bill. This is just another way of doubling down and tripling down on the drug war and locking up more nonviolent offenders. We will refund and respect the police because they, not the criminals, are the good guys. Nobody passed the defund the police bill in the House of Representatives or the Senate. What are you babbling about? What are you babbling about? Police budgets are sky high. He's like, well, we need to fund them even more. Well, congrats on your bold stance. Um, immigration, we will secure our border, finish building the wall, and name it after President Donald Trump. Uh, growth. We will grow America's economy, starve Washington's economy, and stop socialism. Stop the non-existent socialism that is taking over the country. Government reform and debt. We will eliminate all federal programs that can be done locally. Jesus Christ, that's getting rid of like any federal program. And enact term limits for federal bureaucrats in Congress. Seven. We will protect the integrity of American democracy and stop left-wing efforts to rig elections clear wink and nod to January 6th and the Stop the Steal conspiracy theorists who are dead wrong about it, as has been proven in court, even by Republican judges. Uh, number eight, family. We will protect, defend, and promote the American family at all costs. 
my guess is this is a, a you know, this is a, a shot at the LGBTQ community and trans people and things of that nature. Uh, number nine, uh, another one, gender, life, and science. Men are men, women are women, and unborn babies are babies. We believe in science. These aren't even policy proposals. These aren't even policy proposals. Men are men, women are women, and unborn babies are babies. We believe in science. Yeah, you believe in science, which is why, what, the overwhelming majority of you guys deny climate change? Why there's been a lot of outright flirting with anti-vaxxers among the Republican caucus? You believe in science. My ass cheeks, you believe in science. Um, Number 10, Americans will be free to welcome God into all aspects of our lives. Number 11, we are Americans, not globalists. I find that one hilarious because it's the Republicans who have supported every single outsourcing deal. They love shipping jobs overseas and padding the bottom line of, of corporate behemoths. That's what they like doing. But now they're virtue signaling like, us? We're not globalists. We're nationalists. We don't want to outsource jobs like the globalists do. And the other thing, of course, look, a lot of that, I don't know if this is how Rick Scott meant it, but when a lot of people on the far right say the globalists, they're, they're, uh, with, it, they're signaling the Jews. That's what, now, again, I don't know if that's how Rick Scott used it. I'm not going to cast aspersions unless I see more evidence on that front. But in conspiracy circles, oftentimes, when people bring that up, it's, um, they are using a dog whistle to really refer to the Jews. By the way, this part also says, America will, not be, depend- will be dependent on no other country. We will conduct no trade that takes away jobs or displaces American workers. Their voting record is the opposite. Countries who oppose us at the UN will get zero financial help from us. We will be energy independent and build supply chains that never rely on our adversaries. I wish we did that, but we're, of course, not going to do that. Uh, we will only help countries that are willing to defend themselves, like Israel. <laughs> Unbelievable, these guys. Unbelievable. And, by the way, the energy independence thing, based. So you want to nationalize the oil industry? You want to nationalize oil and natural gas? Oh, that's right. You don't. You don't. You want the private corporations to have it, and they don't sell it domestically. They don't use it domestically. They export all the oil. So they say, oh, energy independence. You don't want to nationalize the oil industry. You don't want to do a Green New Deal to get us to green and renewable technology, which would make us um, self-sufficient. No, they don't want to do it. Oh, Rick Scott, he is the worst. He is not a good politician. He imploded. And by the way, he did the worst Medicare fraud in the history of the country. Bet you didn't know that. That's how big of a scumbag he is. So North Korea... um, We talked recently about how they did an ICBM test, and it was successful, and they're trying to flex and be like, look at us, we're strong, we're powerful. Really, it's it's a defensive posture. They're, please don't topple us, please don't mess with us. See, we got weapons of mass destruction, back off, back off. That's the gist of it. I'm sure all you guys know that. Again, we've talked about it a number of times. Uh, But I just found out they launched uh, with this a really, really goofy propaganda ad. So let me play it for you. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk as we're watching it because I, for copyright reasons, I can't play the music um, that goes with it. So I'll just explain to especially everybody who's just listening. I'll walk you through it. So the first thing you'll notice is he's wearing a leather jacket. He thinks he's cool. He's like the Fonzie dictator. Um, he's got sunglasses on. I love how it's in slow motion. Huge missile behind him. Got like his generals with him. They're showing the missile in, like, a dusty garage. <laughs> He's looking at his watch. <laughs> so it's like his general. This is great. This is, this is golden. 
another long shot of looking at their watch. <laughs> Dramatically taking off his sunglasses. <laughs> Slow motion thumbs up. <laughs> oh, this is golden. I love this. I love this. They're taking out the gigantic missile. What's so great about this kind of stuff is that because they're not as immersed in Western culture, they have no idea what looks corny and what looks cheesy and what would look badass, and so they just go full corny, but they think it's badass. This is like 1989 Steven Seagal movie type stuff here. All right, so let's see them do the test launch. They got the missile ready to go. <laughs> very phallic. You got a very phallic look going on right now. They're screaming, launch it, or whatever. And there it goes. It's up in the air. Now, this is supposed to be a missile that can, you know, hit the U.S. It, it's uh, more technological capability than, uh, than people thought they had. Or they did a similar launch in 2017, but this is definitely, I think, their biggest to date. There's the missile. We got more phallic stuff going on here. One of the other things that you notice... <laughs> They're doing like a very pre-planned, excited uh, celebration thing. One of the things you notice is they're not as, as good with the, uh, and there you go, it's over. One of the things you'll notice is they're not as good with like the, the jump cuts and, and tightening everything. They don't know that people's attention span is that of a gnat. So they're, they're like, you know, they'll draw it out a little bit and they'll go slower. And, you know, in Hollywood, they would have, they would have, cut this bitch in half it would have been you know half that and it would have been more snappy but you know what can you say they're trying to do their propaganda and we live in a movie i mean that's what this is right we live in a movie that's what this feels like to me you got this uh tin pod dictator one of the poorest countries in the world is not the poorest country in the world trying to flex trying to and it reminds you of all the propaganda remember they had the propaganda uh kim jong-il so kim jong-un's father when he was dictator, they said, oh, he, he made 11 holes in one the first time he played golf. I mean, literally anybody who has ever played golf even once can tell you that is the fakest thing anybody's ever said. There has never been a, a, a more fake comment than that. There was another part of propaganda that um, it was either Kim Jong-un or Kim Jong-il never defecated. So he doesn't have to expel waste from his body because he's basically like a demigod type person. Now, by the way, I don't, I genuinely don't know how much of this is like Western propaganda where they say this is said inside North Korea and it isn't. I don't know. But when you watch a video like this that they released of their own volition, it's like you start to think maybe they, maybe they really do push some of that propaganda on their population. But geez. Now, I, I want to calm everybody down. I don't think you're... Not calm at the moment, but just, again, to, to reiterate, this dude, homeboy's not a threat to anybody but the people of North Korea, okay? And that's bad enough, and he's got the concentration camps and people eating rats and shit, all sorts of problems domestically. He's a menace. That's obvious. Authoritarian, totally locked down country. All that stuff is bad and condemnable. Uh, but in terms of a threat to others, this is him flexing, hoping that they're never going to make a move trying to topple him. That's effectively what it is, you know? And um, what worries me most is the tit-for-tat escalation. We've saw 
we covered the story the other day, but a North Korean ship drifted into South Korean waters and South Korea fired a warning shot. What I'm afraid of is what happens if South Korea fires a warning shot at some point and they interpret that as it's not a warning shot. They think it's an attack on them and then they launch and then... So you always, that's the thing. You always got to worry about the tit-for-tat escalation and miscommunication and fog of war stuff. And that's what scares me the most. But in terms of the hilarious uh, propaganda video we got here, this stuff is golden. Okay, next. So I've been watching a lot of tennis recently. I've been playing it. Uh, you know, I'm not good. I never, I didn't play seriously for my my entire life. So it'd be weird to try to play seriously now, just volleying around and stuff. And that's how I fucked my leg up. You guys know that story. I told you it. But I enjoy playing tennis, and uh, I've also enjoyed watching it. It's actually a very suspenseful and dramatic uh, sport to watch. So there's a lot of great stuff that's on all the time. The other thing is, it's almost like there are tennis matches every week because the events are so long. So it's, there's always something to watch. Um, and the world number one player is a guy by the name of Daniel Medvedev. And actually the first tennis match I watched was when he beat Djokovic at the U.S. Open when Djokovic was going for the Grand Slam, the, the four majors in a row in the same calendar year. Last time somebody did that was like 1969 or something, so it would have been huge. And Djokovic also would have gotten to 21 majors. Um, and he didn't win that. Medvedev won it. And now then, of course, all the thing happened. All the things happened with Djokovic and not taking the vaccine, and now he's not able to go to a lot of the different majors, and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so Medvedev is now under fire from Wimbledon for a very bizarre reason. So let's take a look at the story here, and I'll break it down for you. CBS says, Daniel Medvedev may have to denounce Vladimir Putin in order to avoid Wimbledon ban. The WTA does not agree with the idea, which came from British sports minister Nigel Huddleston. Okay, so let me read you some of the article as well. Russian tennis star Daniel Medvedev's road to Wimbledon in June may have to include more than just his play on the court. British sports minister Nigel Huddleston said during a UK Parliament Select Committee meeting on Tuesday that he may ask for assurances that Medvedev does not support Russia's invasion of Ukraine ahead of the tournament. During the meeting, Huddleston made it clear that symbols of Russia will not be permitted at Wimbledon which runs from June 27th to July 10th. Here's more of what he said via CNN. Absolutely nobody flying the flag for Russia should be allowed or enabled. We need some potential assurance that they are not supporters of Putin, and we are considering what requirements we may need to try and get some assurance along those lines. Okay, so Daniel Medvedev already came out and said, I don't want the war, I'm for peace. He already came out and said that. They're saying or at least at Wimbledon, the WTA is not saying this, but the Wimbledon is coming out and saying, that's not enough. We need you to directly denounce Vladimir Putin. Now, here's why this is so absurd, and it's extreme to ask for something like this. Daniel Medvedev probably has family in Russia. If he goes out there and in very clear terms directly goes after Vladimir Putin, you might be putting his family in danger. Now, Crystal made a good point about this. Why is it that when it was with, with Peng Shui, everybody understood that when it came to China? Like China, because she made, uh, you know, Me Too allegations against some Chinese government official. They basically, you know, kidnapped her. And, and, but everybody understood, like, well, when she's freed, 
we're not going to ask her to directly denounce the Chinese government because that's, you know, you're putting your family in danger. Like these things are, if you're dealing with an authoritarian government, the collective punishment mindset of like, well, they're all guilty. It's just so bizarre. Daniel Medvedev didn't do the invasion. Daniel Medvedev called for peace. And even that's not enough. And they're like, you have to directly call out Putin, therefore maybe putting your family in danger from the authoritarian government. I mean, this is insanity. So basically, just because he's Russian, they're being bigoted towards him and saying, maybe we don't allow you to play in Wimbledon unless you say these words. And look, I'll go a step further. Even the idea of, uh, you know, we're not going to fly any Russian flags. So now Russia is only defined by Putin's invasion of Ukraine. That's it. No, no, no. I don't, I don't believe in that at all. That's like saying at an Olympic event after the U.S. invasion of Iraq around the same time frame, we don't fly the American flag here. Well, why not? Well, George Bush invaded Iraq. Okay, but the American flag doesn't just stand for what the current president is doing, however immoral and terrible it is. That flag, to that person who's the athlete, that flag represents their own hard work and blood and sweat and tears and, and fighting to be the best at whatever the sport may be. It, you know, it, look, it represents everything. It's all in the interpretation of it. So, yeah, the American flag, you could argue, represents the nuking of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the Iraq War and slavery and Jim Crow. But then you could also turn around and argue it represents, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Act and free speech and the list goes on and on. And to the you know, to the athlete, it may just be, that's where I'm from, and so that's where I did all my work, this is who I'm representing, etc. And they're saying, no, we're not, you know, even if he wins, which he's the number one player in the world, there's a decent chance he wins, we're not going to fly that flag. It's just bigotry. It's just bigotry. That's all it is. There's no ends, ifs, or buts about it. I don't see another interpretation of it. It's just collective punishment, because Medvedev happened to be born on the same patch of dirt that Vladimir Putin controls in an authoritarian way. It's not his fault. He didn't do anything wrong. And now you're making him a victim because of what Putin's doing. Uh, now, since the, uh, this article originally came out, Medvedev actually dropped to number two in the world, just, just, to be, just to be accurate for everybody and let them know. Uh, he got knocked out a little early in the Miami Open, and so he, he dropped a little bit. But he could be back to number one. I don't know. But that doesn't change the, you know, the specifics and the nature of the story here. It's collective punishment. It's fucked up. And I feel really bad for him because, you know, what more do you want? He called for peace, and he probably doesn't want to put his family in danger. And maybe even calling for peace would have done that. It was already brave for him to say that. So not good, man. Not good. Um, by the way, in watching tennis, uh, Medvedev actually is one of my favorite players to watch because he, he's really defensive. It's like he's like the – you know, Floyd May, Mayweather is like the most brilliant defensive boxer of all time. He's like a defensive genius at tennis. When he beat Djokovic in the U.S. Open, he just was able to return everything. Like, you just couldn't get anything by him. He doesn't do anything fancy. Um, he stands far back, and he's got an unorthodox stroke, but he, uh, he's just great. He's just fun to watch. And so, you know, it would be a shame if he's banned from Wimbledon, and it's crazy to me we're even having this conversation. But nonetheless, this is where we are. Okay, next. Joe Manchin has now added insult to injury. He's slapping Biden around again. Let me show you what I'm talking about here. 
Axios says, Scoop, Senator Joe Manchin told a group of climate activists and energy executives he's open to supporting revised Build Back Better legislation narrowly addressing three issues, climate change, prescription drug prices, and deficit reduction. Okay, so there's a lot to say about this. First of all, LOL at the idea. Me, bro, I'm open to negotiating. There's already been 84 rounds of negotiation, and you've told everybody to go fuck themselves as soon as you got close to a deal. So let me show you, just, just to give you some perspective here, here's what the original piece of legislation had in it, and then you saw what Manchin says he maybe wants to put in it. So take a look at this. So th- this was the original Build Back Better. Child tax benefit, universal pre-K, paid family leave, paid medical leave, tuition-free community college, lower prescription drug costs, dental, hearing, vision, and Medicare expansion, housing, home care, major climate money, immigration reform, uh, lower Medicare age, Obamacare expansion. I don't know what increasing physical supply means. Um, Then you have new revenues, beefed up IRS tax enforcement, taxing the rich, taxing corporations, fees on polluters, Medicare negotiations. Okay, that was the original piece of legislation. Now, I reiterate and remind you, Joe Manchin says, me, bro, I'm open to negotiating. Let's do something on climate change. By the way, the guy is a dirty energy millionaire. He makes money from dirty energy, from coal. And he's going to, oh, I'll do the climate change legislation. Uh, Prescription drug price price negotiation, and deficit reduction. This is just adding insult to injury. Remember, we've, had, we've, had, we've seen this script play out in front of us before, every single time. You have, they uh, unveiled the original bill. Mansion and Cinema took a hatchet to it. They had another version of the bill, which was watered down a little bit. Mansion and Cinema took a hatchet to it. Then they watered it down again. Mansion and Cinema took a hatchet to it. Then we got to the point where it was like, all right, dog, you just write whatever legislation you want and we'll pass it. That's what Biden effectively said to Manchin. There was no proposal. There was nothing. So now, and by the way, the entire time Manchin said, just pass the traditional infrastructure bill and I promise you we'll pass Build Back Better. You have my word. Well, what happened? What happened is you're a liar. That's what happened. You're a liar and you're a corporate hack who's taken a tremendous amount of money from billionaires, Republican donors, and corporations. And so you killed the legislation because you were paid to kill the legislation. It's not some sort of, I have a moderate ideology and I'm abiding by that. No, it's you're a hack. You're a corrupt goon, Joe Manchin. That's what you are. So now when it's dead, it's all done, it's all over, they got nothing. By the way, uh, shame on Joe Biden, shame on any progressive who broke the original deal. When they originally said, we vote for both or we vote for none. A bunch of them folded. Some of them didn't. Only like six or seven. Credit to the six or seven. The other ones folded. Shame on all of them. But now Joe Manchin comes out of the woodwork again. I'm ready to talk. Oh, are you? Oh, you're ready to talk. Said it before, I'll say it again. If I was Joe Manchin, I would have hit this guy with everything under the sun. If I was Joe Biden, I would have hit him with everything under the sun. I would have threatened to prosecute his family because they're criminals. His daughter was involved in price fixing uh, for Big Pharma. I would have said, look, my Justice Department's looking at, looking at your daughter and your wife who was involved in it. What, what do you want me to tell you? Maybe I could call off the dogs, but you're going to have to be reasonable and make a deal, and I'm going to need your vote on this. This is how politics can be played. This is how politics can be done. Lyndon B. Johnson knew how to twist arms. FDR knew how to twist arms. They got what the country needed. By playing hardball, Joe Biden played cuckball. He did nothing. And Joe Manchin is a liar and a corrupt goon. And every time I see a headline like this, I, now I'm at the point, I want to shake the media. 
Like, why are you reporting this as if it's like, without the context? Why are you reporting this as like, he's open to it? Every single headline should be like, liar Joe Manchin says he's open to negotiations again. But they can't do that. It's a cult of civility and respectability politics. And it's a shame. Uh, This guy needs to be launched into the sun. That's obvious. He's a liar. He's a corrupt goon. He's doing everything on behalf of the corporations and the billionaires and the Republican donors who've given to his campaign in large sums now. And um, nobody should ever let this go, man. He should be public enemy number one. They should primary him from the left. left. The entire Democratic Party should support the primary opponent. But unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen because it doesn't matter how far right a Democrat goes, they're always welcome in the club. But if you get a millimeter outside to the left of the Democratic Party, well, that's when they come and slit your throat. Okay. All right, final story of the day, y'all. Let's do it. So Madison, Madison Cawthorn went on a podcast. It was tweeted by the account Patriot Takes, some right-wing thing. Um, he talked about what goes on in Washington, D.C. Now, it's really interesting. I'm going to play it for you, then we'll discuss if you believe it and, and everything else around it. With, with uh, Kevin Spacey and I forget who else uh, was in it. Uh, but anyway. Very well done show. Very well done Very show. Very well done show. But it was so dirty, and it was about this uh, congressman uh, who was Kevin Spacey, who was, I think it was Minority or Majority Whip. Yep. What was it? Yeah. And so, anyway, very, very powerful guy. And it was just kind of like his secret life of all this corruption and power and money and perversion. And it was just dirty. How much, in your opinion, because you've been behind the veil, is this a fictitious show? Or is this more closer to like a documentary? Is, is it that bad? So I heard a former president that we had in the 90s was asked a question about this. And he gave an answer that I thought was so true. And he said, the only thing that's not accurate in that show is that you could never get a piece of legislation about, uh, about education passed that quickly. And everything else is good. Uh, aside from that, I mean, the sexual perversion that goes on in Washington, I mean, it, being kind of a young guy in Washington with the average age of probably 60 or 70, and I look at all these people, a lot of them that I, I, you know, I've looked up to through my life, always paid attention to politics, guys, that, you know, it, then all of a sudden you get invited to, like, well, hey, we're going to have kind of a, a, a sexual get-together at one of our homes. You should come. And I'm like, what, what did you just ask me to come to? Yeah. And then you realize they're asking you to come to an orgy. Yeah. Uh, or, or the fact that, you know, there's some of the people that are leading on the movement to try and remove, you know, addiction in our country. And then you watch them do, you know, a key bump of cocaine right in front of you. And it's like, what? this is, this is wild. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Interesting. Interesting. Now, Question is, do you believe them? My answer is complicated. My answer is, yes, I think all of those things are going on. No, I don't believe that he was invited to them. And no, I don't believe that anybody said those things to him or did those things in front of him. Now, why do I say that? I say that because he's, he's a known liar. There's a number of things about his story coming up that he just made up. And then, you know, that, that was uh, debunked and disproven uh, in the media a number of times. And so... He's not a trustworthy source. Having said that, all those things go on. They ain't fucking invite him. He also talks about, like, people in their 60s and 70s who I've looked up to my whole life and, like, they've invited me to these things. That would be bold. That'd be ballsy, no pun intended, of some, like, you know, what, 
like Chuck Grassley is going to invite you to an orgy? Fuck out of here. <laughs> oh, by the way, the mental on that, geez. But he's the one who did famously say, you guys got to go to the Dairy Queen in Windsor for you know what. What, Chuck Grassley? <laughs> Please tell me, what did you go to the Dairy Queen for? No, but for real, um, I don't believe that those things happen in front of him. I don't. I, I don't think they have it in front of him. I think he's lying. But I guarantee you plenty of them do do drugs, no doubt about that. And the orgy thing, yeah, but I don't think it's like, you know, I don't think you're talking about like 50, 60, 70% of them. I, you know, I, maybe 10% of them or 5% of them or something. I, I would guess that that's the reality of the situation. But, yeah, you don't, a 65-year-old or 70-year-old politician to invite, I mean, how old is Madison Cawthorn? Is he in his 20s? Was he like 30 or something like that? You don't, like... I'm sure the vetting process on that front would be, like, a little longer than just, like, hey, we like you. Would you, you want to come suck off Bob? Like, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that's how it would go down. I think, I think they're smoother with it. I think they're more, um, they're more intelligent with how they go about it. And, honestly, I don't think he'd make the cut for – they got to know that you're not a weirdo loudmouth to do that because – they know anything gets out on that front, and, and they would be serious. And, again, Madison's a known liar. He's a proven liar. It's like, I was going to say they wouldn't invite Marjorie Taylor Greene, but low-key, she did. Remember that story about how she was with, like, her, her trainer or something? She was in some sort of an open relationship or whatever. I, look, I'm not, I'm not judging, which leads to my final point, which is, uh, if indeed this stuff is true, it's the most base thing about Congress. You know what I'm saying? Like, they are, it's, Congress is full of demons. Congress is full of incredibly corrupt narcissists. Um, it, it's a cesspool. It's a cesspool. But if indeed, uh, you know, they're taking key bumps while they're in the bathroom at Congress before going out on the floor to give a speech, based. If they're uh, getting together and, and spreading the joy around and people are nutting left and right and having fun, Like, Congress, if this fact is real and more stuff gets out about it, Congress's approval rating might go from, like, 20% to, like, 31%. Like, they might get a little bit of a bump in the polls as a result of doing bumps and bumping and grinding, you know what I'm saying? So, anyway, like, I want, I want to take him at his word here, but that would be naive of me because he's such a liar in so many other ways. But I do think that stuff is going on. I just don't think it's going on in front of him. I think he made these stories up. And, uh, but what would be interesting to see is an actual list of, hey, here are the people that are doing the orgies. You know, here are the ones who set it up and, and take a leadership position. Um, here are the ones with the tiny peckers. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't want to know about who has a tiny pecker in Congress. I have no interest in that whatsoever. But um, anything is possible given that we all know the Jeffrey Epstein story. And, you know, Jeffrey Epstein was the CEO of Elite Sex Crimes Incorporated. Like, that's what he was. He had dirt on everybody and their mother, dirt on Bill Clinton, dirt on Donald Trump, dirt on all these billionaires, these tech geniuses, et cetera, et cetera. And, oh, would you look at that, he wound up dead in the jail cell, you know? So, like, if that story is real, and we know that's real, we saw it unfold, well, I guess anything else is possible. But given that story, this actually looks a little more tame, right? Like, oh, you're just doing key bumps of coke and, and having orgies? Well, shit. I'm happy that, you know, it's not a dungeon and there aren't children involved because then that would be bad. <laughs> then, then that would be, you know, the elite demon sex cabal that 
we all feared and saw some evidence of. So anyway, there you have it, Madison Cawthorn. Um, not buying it from him in particular, although I'm sure some of those activities do go on. All right, y'all. I love you. I'll talk to everybody soon. Have a great rest of your day. I am out. Peace. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.